new music for 2023. Thank you all for joining me. This is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. We are up to episode 26, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to the long-distance riding legend, Kenneth Andrews. He's a self-proclaimed history buff and is considered a master traveler in the national park system. If you're in the long-distance riding community, there is no doubt you have heard of this guy. If you're not a long-distance rider, let me introduce you to the man, the myth, the legend himself. This man is known as Go Home Ken, and we're about to get an idea of why that is. Ken, welcome to the show. That's pretty hilarious, Craig. Thank you very much. Pretty happy to be here today. Yeah, it's an honor having you. We've run into each other in person. Actually, it's been a few times in the last year. It has. It has. Uh, You know, connections, riot and hop and things like that tends to bring our communities a lot closer together. That they do. So tell us a little bit about your family, your wife. How many kids do you have? Give us a little bit of that story. I'm, uh, I'm married. I have one child of my own. I have three stepchildren that I've raised. They were like seven, five, and three years old, and they're all full-grown adults, 37, 35, and like 32 now. My home life's a little bit fractured right now, and uh, that's things, things happen in life, but you know, we, we try to persevere and go on and do the best we can. Um, I love all my family, though. got four sisters. I mean, my, my parents are passed. My in-laws are passed. You know, these are things that happen to us as we get older. I'm 61 now, so, you know, we, we weather the storms, whether it be out on the road or at home or in business and all those different things. Sure. You were in the service, right? Navy man, U.S. Navy. U.S. Navy. Uh, so thank you for your yeah. service, always, for sure. I appreciate everything you did. No matter what you did, if you were in the service, I appreciate you. So thank you for right. that. Right on. I was a weapons guy, and I just I did my tour. It was great having an extra set of parents to help me grow up. But I loved it. I was aboard a destroyer, the USS Robert Allen Owens, named after a guy that was killed on the island of Bougainville, a Marine. And it was just an exciting adventure from the beginning all the way to the end. I'm one of those in-betweeners where I was in between Vietnam and Grenada, so I didn't see any action. And it's kind of like being out on the good ship lollipop, but you had to like do what people told you to do. So it, it was amazing, to say the least. We got on the phone last night to kind of set up the time for today, and you were sharing some of the stories of what you did on that ship and while you were serving. Can you share some of those? I, I could listen to that stuff all day long. So, Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, share uh, a couple. What, what, one of the things we did is I um, we did a cruise down the St. Lawrence Seaway and hit four of the five Great Lakes, and this was like an all-summer cruise. And we hit like 27 American cities and and 15 Canadian cities along the way. And it was just basically a PR tour. And I think they said we had back at that time, this 1979, I think it was 1979, early 80s, but memory fails on some things. But we were the first ship since like the Great White Fleet had sent some ships down it. And it was a PR tour. We had over a million people come visit us. And it's an incredible experience. We'd stop, we'd just go from one city to the next, spend three or four days, the port, moved to the next, went through the Went through the uh, canal, went, went through, excuse me, went through the uh, lock system in and out. And one of the locks, the Canadians went on strike and they held us up for like two days. They're like, we won't pay or we're keeping the ship hostage. That's kind of <laughs> funny. Um, we were coming out after doing this whole summer up there. And there was a freighter, one of those big, whatever, 1,000, 1,500 foot freighters or freighters in the lock in front of us that they were about to lower. And this guy had we're standing on deck preparing to go in behind him. And this guy steps from the pier, kissing his wife and his children goodbye. And he slips 
and he fell between the ship and the pier. And needless to say, that was a terrible situation and he died, but it held us up again. It's just like right there in front of us. I mean, it just, it just, everybody was in complete panic. There's nothing you can do when you have a 1500 pound ship and there's only a, a few inches between the wall of the ship and the wall of the, the lock itself. I mean, it's, it's immediate disaster and, and, and it ended up being that way. And I was just, just broke everybody's heart to be there and, and be present while I was happening. Incredible experience in itself. I'm um, kidding. Yeah, that was just, I just, I can't even hardly believe it to this day. During that, we were in uh, Toledo, Ohio. Not the best city I've ever been in my life, but I'm not going to bag on it right now. There was uh, the, the Confederate Air Force was having a air show there. And uh, here we are. I had the duty. We had duty every three days where we had to be on board the ship and the people would come through. And I'm at my station, which is where the rocket launcher that I worked with was at. And we had a rocket, a rocket out there on deck for display. And people would come by and look and ask questions and everything. And, and this biplane is coming by and making passes by my ship. And this is on the St. Louis Seaway, mind you. Waters are very swift. And this plane comes down and he makes, goes around loops and he comes back again. And his landing gear down, and everybody's just like watching this because he's putting on a show, and everybody's kind of panicked about it. The guy takes off again, goes up, comes back around, and then lands with his landing gear right beside the ship, and it explodes right there with all of these people. And I'm telling you, there's ten thousand people sitting there watching this. I mean, it was just like we we immediately went into action. We dropped our motor whale boat into the water. Our, our motor well boat crew and everything, and they're in the St. Lawrence Seaway and chasing this plane down. And they actually, before the plane sank, they were able to pull both of the occupants out. One of them was perished on impact. The other one, they got him out and they got him to the hospital and he later passed away. And our ship actually got a commendation for, for helping out with that situation, even though both of them lives were lost. But it was just like, you can't even imagine seeing something like that happen right there in front of you. I mean, it's just like, wow. No how, yeah, that's just crazy, right? I've had a lot of those experiences in my life, probably more than, than, than most and, and, and a lot more than I'd really ever want to have, you know. But those, just some of the things they had, a part of it was they had what's called dial a sailor, and we could go to any town, and it'd be like where you go to the laundromat and have little slips of paper you could tear off if you want somebody to mow your yard or, or odds and ends and things like that. There's a phone number on it, and uh, they called it dial a sailor. So every town that they went to, they had this program in advance. It's all over the airwaves and everything like that. People would call in and they'd order up sailors, whether it be one or two to go to dinner, go to a movie, go watch a ball game. Just, just an amazing experience. One of the experiences, a, a guy come across, and I think it's called a Chris Craft, those beautiful mahogany boats. And uh, he's up next to our ship and we're trying to tie up at the pier. And uh, he's like trying to talk to me. And he actually invited myself and my buddy Cyril Ressa to go out. We were in Thousand Islands, New York. I believe they call it Clayton, New York. And all these homes are out on these islands. Some of them are like castles. There's one house on an island. And there were about five of them on this island. And it was him and his brother. And uh, they invited us out for the weekend with him and his, their wives and their daughters and stuff like that. So uh, we really had a big time with that, I have to tell you. I was in Chicago and we had a helicopter land next to the ship. And it's a couple of police officers. So I'm the guy on duty. And I have access to all the weapons on board the ship. So I take these two police officers and I give them a personal tour of the ship. And they were, they were so happy about it. They came back the next day. They gave me a helicopter ride through the city. They, they gave me, uh, and my boss, they, they got my boss and took him for a helicopter ride as well. They took me with them on an eight-hour tour in their police car, uh, which was pretty crazy, I have to say. I mean, it, it was more than crazy. These guys were 
just a little bit older than me. You know, I was 19 and these guys were like late 20s. Took me with them that evening to a party that was like pretty bizarre for a bunch of cops to be hanging out at. But all was cool, all the same. So those are just some those are just some of the great things that happened along the way during this during that trip down the St. Lawrence Seaway. That's awesome. How did you get picked for that? Was it just luck, random? Did you have to I, apply I, I for guess, that? You know, I don't know the I don't know the dynamics behind it because I was just a sailor, you know. I, so uh, when they came to us and told us what we were going to do and we, what we had to get ready for, well, we're just following orders. Like, okay, great for us. So I, I don't know the relevance of why we were picked compared to anybody else. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, how cool. How lucky yeah. was that? It is. It is. To get past the military service, what got you into riding motorcycles? Well, I, I grew up on them, you know, from mini bikes all the way up. And I stayed with them till I went to service. I didn't have one in the military. And I got out and uh, I got back on them again after a few years out. And I was a little bit too wild, I would say. I was doing all the things wrong that you should be doing when you're riding a motorcycle and I decided it was better for me to let them go for a while and when I got to be 50 years old I looked at my wife I said hey I'm I'm, I'm ready to get back on the bike and I, I kind of waited because I wanted a Harley and I knew what I wanted and I'd been looking for a long time and and uh, they're expensive and you know I wanted the affordability and I told my wife I said look I'm you know you've got your kitchen outdoors you've got your swimming pool you've got your remodeled house uh, I think it's time for me to get something. And she's like, what now? And she know, because we'd been looking. And I said, uh, I want to go buy my Harley for my 50th birthday. She said, okay. She said, can I pick the color? And I said, yes. And we headed to the dealership and I picked it out that day. And oh, cool. uh, it took about a month to get it all rebuilt and everything. And when I finally got it, I have to tell you, I was absolutely petrified of this thing. They've got it in like a interstitial space that's in between the garage and the showroom this is a heritage and it's got a it's a 2011 and it's got a stage three kit in it and it is just an absolute monster and i can't even just get this thing in gear and get it drove out of this garage i mean i'm like i i was i was just out of it and the manager george who's an incredibly good guy done a lot of things with them he said man let me get this thing out of here for you so he drove it out in the parking lot and uh, where I was out there with just him and I, he said, look, calm down. This is yours. It's not going to hurt you. Drive it home. And he walked away. <laughs> and it, it took me it took me about three tries to get it going in gear without killing it. And I did. And I finally, and my wife was supposed to be following me. And I mean, I lost her at the first corner. And I was gone. And I got it home. And the next day, I got it the next day. And I got on it. And I rode it again. And I rode it again. And that that's what got me back into it. So. At 50 years old, like I said, I'm 61. I just kind of, because my friends, my friends kind of nurtured this thing. I knew I wanted it anyway, but my, my friends are kind of going, you know, you got to ride, man. You got to ride with us. And uh, I started figuring out real quick that they didn't ride very much. And I wanted to do something a little more different. So that's how it got me into it. Sure. So they didn't ride much. This is back in 2011. What got you into long distance riding what made you you obviously realize your friends don't ride much because i kind of fall in that same category i have a few friends now that i ride with that we actually get to go put some miles on but yeah you got people that want to ride and and i can't stand going bar to bar to bar and that seems like what most people want to do so i don't ride with a lot of people sounds like maybe the same story more or less very similar indeed uh it was more my wife doesn't like to bar hop and we would be in those situations. It just make her angry, and so so I, I wouldn't take her doing that. But I would do it with these guys because they're my friends. But about somewhere in about 2012, 
I'd heard about the Iron Butt Association and uh, Iron Butt Ride. And, uh, and I'd never heard anything like this before. I just heard it through a random social media or something like that. And something on the internet, it just caught my attention. And I was talking with all my friends. I'm like, hey, have any of you guys done this? And they were all pretty much a T. Oh, yeah, I've done that. I've, I've done it. Yeah, a thousand miles. That's no big deal. I'm like, well, do you have the certificate? Did you get a patch? Did you get a pin? Do you know anything about it? And of course, which is the norm that we see all the time on social media. No, I didn't do any paperwork for that. I, I don't need anybody to give me a piece of paper to tell me what I've done. Yada, yada. It's all, it's all, it's similar all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, wouldn't you do just like at least one? I mean, that's kind of like a, an accomplishment, a pretty big thing, you know, that you go, oh yeah, I've done this. And I, look, and mine, mine is sitting here in my office right beside me. That's the only one that I display and it's my very first one. And it is from, let me look at the date here real quick, March of 2013. I, I don't think. I, I had talked to another guy, excuse me, I talked to another guy and he said he wanted to do it with me. And of course he bailed out. And I don't think that I could have had a much more miserable ride than that one. I was ill-equipped, ill-informed, unprepared. I, I was in a, an old leather jacket that my dad gave me that the zipper busted out of it before I ever from Little Rock to Tulsa. So I've got this thing Velcro strapped on me. I'm wearing ski pants for my pants. I'm wearing ski pants over my jeans. I'm wearing a, a, this novelty skid lid and I've got these gauntlet gloves that are just not very good. And I started out 35 degree temp. By the time I got to Tulsa, it was 70. By the time they turned the corner coming to Oklahoma City down to Shreveport, I got into Shreveport, it was like 22 degrees. And I was like, I, I was to the core. I was frozen, to, absolutely frozen to the core. And and I, I was staying at the casino, and I did because I had room there, and I didn't want to ride the last leg because it was through this highway three. That's just the animals are just crazy. It's obnoxious. So I didn't I didn't want to go through that time in the morning, and I knew I didn't. So I went gambling and drinking because I'm in a casino, and I probably shouldn't have, but I won some money, about eight hundred fifty dollars. So it kept me longer there than I should have, and. I woke up late. I never heard my alarm. And I woke up at like eight in the morning. And I've got to be back here to Little Rock, like 1145 or something. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I, I've ruined this. I, I, my, my wife will never let me do another one of these again. I didn't, I didn't pee. I didn't brush my teeth. I didn't do anything. I grabbed myself and I jumped on my motorcycle and I went. And I fell behind these three guys in this big Toyota 4x4 and big tires. And, everything. and they must have been late for work. And I'm sure they were because they were just killing it going down this highway. This is two-lane highway. And I'm right behind them. And, and the guy keeps motioning me, go around and go around him. I'm like, no, no, man. You just, you're doing great. I'm following right behind you. So I stuck behind them all the way up to basically Hope, Arkansas. And at that time, I figured it out. I said, hey, I'm going to make this. And I did. I finished with about 15 minutes to spare. And I was incredibly elated by it. I, I still have the picture of me standing there in the dealership when, when I completed. I'm like, I got this done, man. I made it. I didn't ruin it. And I actually went back um, for my 100th certified iron butt ride. I rode that route again. And I did like 14 hours and 15 minutes. Jeez, that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It was just, it was terrible. Exactly. I've never had a worse iron butt ride than that one, I have to tell you. So you mentioned now you have a hundred. Well, no, your hundredth one is what you're mentioning. And this is since 2013. So I'm, was that nine years? So 10 a year. So what the hell do you do for work? How can you afford this much time off? That's the question I always have. 
well, I'm, I'm a commercial industrial contractor. I'm a builder, tradesman. I've been doing the same thing for 42 years, February, be 42 years. Uh, I've owned my own business for 18 and we do what's called mechanical insulation. So we insulate super cold things and super hot things, pipes, ducts, turbines, boilers. We build hospitals, schools, churches, weapons, facilities, whatever, convenience stores, whatever, anything that needs their piping insulated, plumbing and HVAC and ductwork as well. And so I did my first iron butt ride in 2013 and I did my third one in 2015. And then after that is when that kind of all took off for me. Yeah, see, and that's what I mean. That's just crazy. So that now you've taken a couple of years out of that, and you still have all those certificates. How many certificates do you have now? I, I didn't count them all, but I'm I'm approaching 200 pretty quick. I, I, I've got to be somewhere in the 190 range, 180 to 190 range. I'm best I could figure it. I, I have a whole folder full of them, and and whenever anybody asks about it, I'll just show them this little clip that I have of me uh, flipping through all of them, and it's it's uh, the 100 certified one is what they call a diamond. I'm the third person to ever get that one. And the next level is black, but you got to do this certain criteria. You've got to have like these hundred gold rides and these hundred saddle sore rides. And that's the kicker that I'm working on now. And there's never been anybody achieve that level of mile either status yet. But that's with the amount of them that I have, I'm somewhere, I'm north of 225,000 miles doing iron butt rides. But it's kind of different because you know, people always say these things about iron butt ride riders that they don't see anything. But I actually use these rides to incorporate all these other things that I do. Like you said, the historical things at national parks, cemeteries, battlefields, memorials, monuments, national heritage sites, world heritage sites, World War One doughboy statues, statues of liberties. There's just so many incredible things to see out here in our country. And I've basically just grazed the surface of it so far. That brings me to the question that popped into my head. With all of these iron butt certificates, don't you get bored? But you don't because you're always seeing things. And that's what, that's what I was going to ask you is how do you pick where you want to go? What keeps you going to new places? How do you find them if you, I mean, you have that many miles on. What haven't you seen yet? There, there's a lot of different self-guided competitions that are in the long distance community that are for bragging rights. And some of them have little trophies and you can win some trinkets. And I used to win a lot of tires and things like that. And this is this one site and they stopped doing it because I just killed the miles every year. And, uh, but we have what's called America's ultimate long distance riders. And they generally put up, there's like different ways to, to score things like this year. It was like a tour of honor sites, which is another ride out there that you can join on to visit military monuments and memorials. And that's a whole nother thing to elaborate on if you'd like. But the Alder one is you see different things like, historical people's graves or the static displays or the guy that started it, his brother died in 9-11. He's a New York City firefighter. So 9-11 steel sites across the country or memorials themselves. So all of these things get you to looking. We've looked at Whispering Giants that are by the artist Peter Toth and the World War One Doughboys, which is a side ride as well. So you you even have a rider's choice that every year you get to pick a certain thing you want to see for yourself. So mine was one year I did churches. I did old churches and church steeples with a cross on them. So I had to either have a cross on it or have a bell tower in it. It couldn't just be any average church. And I picked churches that were over 100 years old. So you get to see everybody. Some people choose murals. Some people choose 
these large animals or, or crazy things that you can see, these oddities that you can see around the country. And the, and there's another site called waymarkers.com that you can get into. And there's pretty much a category of anything you could imagine that will fit your eye or your mind to what you would like to see. And you put it in like, I like tanks. So I've probably recorded over 400 tanks displays, static displays across the country. I like airplanes, so it's the same thing. So, like I said, with the World War One Doughboys and the Statues of Liberties, I, I've logged I've logged 400 of each of those. The World War One Doughboys were put in place. They were started in place back in the early 20, early to mid 20s by a fella named E.M. Dick McKesney out of uh, Illinois, Spencer, Spencer, Illinois. Yeah, Illinois, Spencer, Illinois. He was the artist that designed these. People say that he kind of ripped off the Statue of Liberty when he when he made it. These are to honor the World War One Doughboy statues that got their names coming back from the Spanish-American War. And it carried on with the Europeans, and, and they started calling them the Doughboys. And, and these statues are really cool, and they have different bases. And there's other artists that have put them out in these displays that are around the country, too, like the American Sailor and the American Aviator. And they're all from that time frame. E.M. Bukesny actually committed suicide. I can't even imagine why. And, and it, it said at the cemetery I've been there, there's a there's a statue there called the Unveiling. He's buried between two of his wives. And I met the groundskeeper at that cemetery whose grandfather was actually the person that dug the hole for this guy. And uh, they said that Bukesny went in there talking with the guy that was keeping the cemetery and said, hey, I, I need you to move those two graves further apart because if anything ever happens to me, I want to be buried right between them so they're not fighting for eternity. And they're like, we can't do that, man. He's like, look, I'm a small guy. You're going to be able to fit me in there. And they did. So he's buried in between his two wives. Hmm. Um, yeah, they're uh, just all, all these fascinating things that are out there. And then one thing will lead you to another. Like you'll see uh, more dogs and canines. The, the pretty impressive statues of these dogs all over the country or, or these animals that have they've done these incredible things. The horse statues for these People don't realize how many horses were involved in World War One and in the earlier stages of war. These these incredible beasts of burden that just you read these stories about one up in Michigan called Big John. And this guy, he came back from World War One and he was an absolute hero. I mean, this guy every year they'd break him out and he'd be in the Fourth of July parade. He's a, he was a big draft horse. And, and all these injuries and, and gunshots that he had survived and everything, it's just like, this animal was crazy. You know, it was just like uh, all these other people that tried to survive. And here's this horse, you know, that survived all of that and made it back home. He was retired out and the whole community just looked after this guy because he was, he was a hero. We hear about dogs that do that all the time, that do these exemplary friends and things that save their handlers or or save somebody else's life, and it, and it, they die in the process, or they're wounded in the process, and and I just don't think we give enough credence to them themselves, even though they are animals. But I, I'm a dog lover, so I'm going to give them the credence they deserve myself. Absolutely. I have a question. What is the doughboy? How did that come about? Um, well, when the soldiers during uh, the Spanish-American War went down into Mexico, and when they were coming back, of course, they're all on foot, and it was so hot coming across the desert that dusty clay sand and dirt would just get on them and it would be cake. So it would be like flour that would be around their eyes and on their hands and any exposed skin where they were sweating because it would gather up and then flake. So that's what it looked like. It looked like when, you, uh, when you're when you putting together a dough or something and it would flake up. So they got the term dough boys. And then they heard of the Europeans heard about it and 
they jumped all over it and they started calling them the Doughboys. <laughs> and the Doughboys are the ones that wore the metal helmets, the round metal helmets. Yep. They were very heavy, made of steel. They didn't really offer a whole lot of protection like the helmets do nowadays. Of course, all of their gear was pretty antiquated. And that was a war where that became mechanized. So man was up against machine even more than they are nowadays. I mean, you can imagine the, the devastation that was wrought on people by tanks back in them days. And of course, the trench warfare. And I'm really interested in these doughboys themselves because even though I'm 61, my grandfather was a World War One doughboy. So he was born in 1887 and he died in 1963. So he actually held me in his lap. I know this because my parents tell me. He served in Africa. He had immigrated to the United States through Europe and into Canada and down into the upper peninsula of Michigan. Hey, so I'm a youfer. And from there, he went into World War One, and he wasn't even an American citizen. So I'm going through this paperwork on my family, and I found the marriage certificate for him and my grandmother. And they had, what you, what do you call it, a May-December wedding. He was like 38, 39, and she was like 17, which was fairly common practice back then. But he went and fought in the war and came back. And I'm looking through these papers, and his I have his discharge papers. And it was nine months after he came back from the war in Africa to when he got his naturalization papers. I'm very proud of that. Um, I have some of his belongings. I have a ring that the county he's from up there, Alger County, that was given to all the soldiers that return. And and Paul Busher, that was his name. And I actually went to visit his grave. I hadn't been back home up there in 50 years. This last summer, I went and visited his grave site. And... uh, he was a small man, a very small stature, and, and I'm not a big man myself, but his ring that fit on his ring finger fits on my pinky. So I, I break it out every now and then and, and wear it in remembrance of him. I actually, as a tie-in to motorcycle riding, which I rode up there to do that this summer, on the 11th hour, 11th day of the 11th month for the 100th anniversary of World War One, I, I rode a 1,537-mile Bunburner Gold ride to visit the newest Doughboy statue in the United States of America in Bryan College Station, Texas. And I have a specific certificate for that. That's the only one in in the country and the only one in the world. Another guy in Australia has one for Anzac Day, which is the same, but we're different days and because of uh, Greenwich Mean Time. And he only did 1,000 miles and I did 1,500. The technicalities. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It was neat. I, I got to meet the fifth archivist of the United States of America. I got to meet the three-star generals. I got to meet the artists that made these Doughboy statues in that park there, which is a, a beautiful park in itself. There's 911 steel there. There's a UH-1 Huey helicopter. I mean, it's just just a beautiful sight to go see. And it was it was such an elaborate ceremony and, and to talk with these guys. And they're like, I, I'm telling them things that they don't know anything about. And they're just like, holy cow, man, this is incredible. So I, I get these, these people who these men are and I get to meet them and they've got 20 questions for me. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, I bet. One of the things that you had mentioned in our conversation previous to this was the Statue of Liberties and the Statue of Liberty program. What is that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the mid 40s. I am so sorry I cannot remember this gentleman's name. And I don't know why I don't look it up and burn it in my memory because I'm usually pretty good with that. But out of Topeka, Kansas, this regional Boy Scouts of America director came up with this idea for a campaign to kind of both promote America, promote patriotism, and things like that. And he came up with this idea of the Statue of Liberty that could be purchased in communities across America. 
So the Boy Scouts themselves would sell chits for 25 cents a piece to try to purchase one of these statues. The statue itself was $380. They had a suggested base. There was a six-star pedestal that it could be put on, a six-star base, and then whatever kind of pedestal. So they're all kind of unique with different kind of pedestals. But the Statue of Liberty is like eight and a half feet tall. It's like 29 pieces of copper zinc pressed and, and welded together. And they're just beautiful. It's, it's amazing. They're beautiful. And you can go see these in so many communities. They said there were over 350 of them sold, but there's only like 175 of them left. I'm pretty sure I've, I don't know if I've seen every one of the 175, but I'm really, really close. And they're all in a database. All, all these things can be found in these different databases. And, and if anybody wanted to reach out to me, I could pass these things on to them where they could see them themselves. There's like four of them in Arkansas. But these specific ones are called the Strengthen the Arm of Liberty. And they're just as cool. You come around the corner because you're looking for it and it's sitting right there in front of you and they're in all these different settings and and a lot of them were on the, at these courthouses, and they were put in place between 1948 and 1952. And of course, other people have come up with different kinds. You know, there's poured aluminum ones and things like that that you see all over the country. There's plastic ones. And so these databases have a lot of them that you can go see. I actually have one on a pedestal sitting underneath a pergola in my front yard. The second one is another tie-in to the Doughboys, the second oldest Statue of Liberty in the United States of America. I live in Arkansas. It's my second home. I was raised here almost my entire life. It's in the northeast corner of Arkansas in a town called Paragould, and it was put there in 1918 as a courthouse to honor the soldiers of World War One. So that kind of ties in my grandfather, the Doughboys, uh, World War One, and the Statue of Liberty all together. The second largest one in the United States of America. I love telling this story. It's one, one of my favorites. The second largest one in the United States of America is in Memphis, Tennessee. And it's in like the, like the southeast side of a pretty major intersection, right inside of community, a community there. And it's like 145 feet tall. And she's called the Statue of Liberation. She sits out front of what's called the World Overcomers Church. And She's sitting there on her pedestal, and in her upraised right hand, she has a cross, and in her left hand, she has the Ten Commandments. She has a gold crown on her head, and it says Jehovah on the front of it, and all seven of the spikes that are on every Statue of Liberty are named for the seven names that are used for God in the Bible. And it actually says on the pedestal, come back to Christ. Um, when they did the unveiling, there were all kinds of news people there and everything like that. And when they unveiled her, people saw that cross and the Ten Commandments. I mean, it was just like people lost their minds. And uh, they were going around saying that people were, it had the base of it, the pedestal is a prayer room. And they were going around saying to people that they were going to be using that so they could pray to that statue. And they were so appalled by that, that church, that they built a wrought iron fence around it. And they permanently locked the door to the prayer room. And they permanently locked the gate surrounding by the Statue of Liberty. Isn't that ridiculous? That is, that's incredible. That's incredible. They could ruin something like that for us in, in this wonderful country that everybody's worked so hard to try to build. I just It just blows me away. It's, it's, they've, they've ruined the name of, of, I don't mean to get too far off base, and you can edit anything you want that I say, but you know they've, they've, turned the, they've taken the term being a nationalist and turned it into this crazy thing. And I, I'm, I'm a patriot, and I'm a nationalist. That means I love my nation. 
and they've tarnished that and they've turned it into something ugly that you they can use as a tool to try to turn against people against each other and you know it's just a terrible mess and I don't mean to be political about it at all I just think it's terrible the way they're breaking things down that's all right I think most of us agree and it's my show so they don't have to listen if they if they don't so anyway we're good with that that's all cool stuff love it now you got me wanting to go see Statue of Liberty statues everywhere because I I just absolutely I can see where you could look and find something and go oh I want to go see that and since we ride a motorcycle we just want to do it on the motorcycle instead of in a car yes and you know it 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 makes it so much better because for one riding a motorcycle requires you be mentally aware at all times and so when you're doing this you'd be surprised on how in tune you are with your environment because you're looking. You're looking forward, back, side, everywhere all the time because you're looking for these things to pop up all over the place. You know, you're trying to find them. You're trying to log them yourself and add to the databases. So it really is a lot of help in your writing. So how did you see you're the reason that I asked about the Doughboys? That's right. I had asked about the Doughboys because I didn't know what that was. And I know that led off on this big tangent, which I absolutely love. So no big deal. I did not ever hear of a Doughboy until I did the Tour of Honor I signed up for it in 2021, and I saw that that was a category. So if people want to start exploring things, to put a plug in there for Tour of Honor, explain that, because you've done sites all over the country, and you're doing that as part of the annual challenge, right? Yes, I do. I, in 2015, the same year that I found my, I did my 47 and 48 and 10 rides, 47 states in 10 days, 48 states in 10 days, I, I found this Tour of Honor didn't have a clue what it was it to me it looked like it took place on the east coast and that was it and so i signed up for it i said hey this is cool i'll get out to the east coast go right out there and see this and it honors veterans what they do is they put up seven sites in every state every year and every state has a sponsor so they change every year and they're all memorials for our it started off mostly as military but it's evolved into being uh, military firefighters, first responders, and police officers. So those choices are all available, those seven sites in every state. And then it is competition, a self-guided competition to see how many you can log in a year. There is a specific trophy called the Scholemeyer Trophy that is uh, awarded to the person that wins it. And then the top 10 riders get to carry whatever position they finished in in the year, they get to carry that specific flag. So that's kind of your trophy. Um, like I finished second, fourth, sixth. This last year, I, I backdoored into 10th place, which is it's kind of funny, kind of neat all at the same because I've taken a couple of years, a little bit of a hiatus, and uh, this year I kind of cranked it up again. But I've, I've seen in a year, just beside the Tour of Honor site, I've seen almost 600 sites like four or five years in a row. So I'm logging all these with this flag all over the entire country. And it takes you on some of the most incredible roads to some of the most back road country places that you would never probably ever find just riding around. People talk about, oh, I just like to ride around laws. It's like, okay, go do the Tour of Honor. It'll get you lost. You know, and I just, and of course, with the navigational tools that we have now, that that's even hard to do. But it, you still can. We went to we went to one in Pennsylvania. I don't know if it's 2016 or 2017, and it was so remote in Pennsylvania to get to this. And it was actually a Civil War monument to this guy named John Taylor. And it is out in these woods, and it, as you hear the banjos, there's a couple of cannons and a couple of old model vehicles rusting to the ground. And it is just an incredible sight to see in the middle of nowhere. 
I mean, it's just nowhere. There's no recession. I mean, you have to make sure that you put in the, the GPS marker so you can get there because you're not going to just freestyle it in. You're not going to find it like that. You would just happen. To, and the roads were atrocious getting into it as well. So, yeah, there's a, I think there's 321 sites total within the United States, within the contiguous 48 states. And then you have seven in, in Alaska and seven in Hawaii as well. So these guys use this as a fundraiser. And, oh, it's, it's over $100 to join it every year. But they give out certificates for different levels of achievements that you read that are nice embossed paper and stamped and everything. And not only do they have the military monuments and memorials, but they have all of these secondary rides so that you can be even more entertained. Because if you say there's seven sites in a state, there's a lot more to do in a state than just visit seven sites. And if you're doing this for an entire year, you can do one state because they have the World War One Doughboys. They have these categories that change. They have the static displays of the UH-1 Hueys. They have the um, the canines and the war dogs. They have the Madonnas of the Trail. Not many people in the country even know what the Madonnas of the Trail are. And they were put out there in the late 20s, early 30s. There's 12 of them that mark Highway 40, the old Highway 40, one of the first roads to cross the entire country. And they go from D.C. all the way out to Upland, California. I've logged all 12 of those. So it's a nice you can just do that ride in itself, and it's pretty incredible, just bouncing from one to the next. So when you do the Tour of Honor, you can do as much as you want or as little as you want. So that makes it so unique. And then a portion of this, and there's two brothers, Dave and Steve Brooks started this, and uh, there's two brothers that started this. They decided that they wanted this to also be a charitable event. So I think it's like $125 to sign up, and 25 of that you can pick from three different categories of what you'd like to make a charitable contribution towards. Myself, I choose Fisher House because I raise money for Fisher House. That is like the Ronald McDonald House for veterans, where they help put together our soldiers, both, both physically and mentally, that have come back from wars and been broken. And I'm just really, I, I think it's an exceptional thing to be a part of, to be able to to be able to do something and help towards that program. But they have programs for first responders and firefighters and police officers as well. So you're not just going and seeing things you're helping while you're at it. And the cause is great. And, and of course, we're all over social media. So we get to show people these iconic sites that we get to see all over the country. And you just never know where they're going to take you. I, I just, since I started doing it, I just absolutely love doing that. And it fills up your time because, you know, you, you know you're going to be riding 50, 60, 80,000 miles a year. You need something to do. Why not go honor our veterans and first responders while we're at it? <laughs> I have to laugh because you say you know you're going to ride 50, 60, 70. Well, I don't know what the average is, but I bet it's not 10,000. So. <laughs> no, I, I, I was in this discussion the other day, and, and uh, this guy was asking, and these people were all coming back. It's kind of funny how people are. And they're coming back, well, I ride 12, I ride 15. I'm like, look, y'all. The average rider in the country averages between three and 5,000 miles a year. And the average bagger rides anywhere from five to 8,000 miles a year. Didn't know that. So if you're on a cruiser, you're generally riding three to 5,000 more miles than the average rider who's doing three to 5,000. And what a lot of people seem to miss is that most people have jobs. So if you're riding 15,000 miles a year on a motorcycle, you're probably riding 15,000 miles a year in your truck. So now you're doing 30,000 miles. That's a long way. If you're doing 30,000 miles a year on a motorcycle, that's an incredibly long way. I just happen to be in the middle of attempting 100,000 miles in a year right now, and I'm at 86,000. And now I'm like 
really, wor- I'm working to try to get this accomplished. But I've got till like February 25th of next year. So I'm, I'm grinding every weekend. I'm out here and it's cold and it's raining and I'm, I'm sticking with it. I'm going to make it happen one way or another. You know, I don't have any doubts. And actually that's coming up here in my notes. So let's talk about that right now. You're sure. currently yeah. in a 100,000 mile year. Now that's not a calendar year. That's 365 day year, right? You said February 25? Yes, yes sir. Yes, sir. So 365. Have you done the math on that? Because I did. So to do 100,000 miles in a year, to just break this down for the listeners, that's 8,333 miles a month, 8,333. So you're doing, not always, but this year, you're doing more miles per month than the average motorcyclist per week. I believe that's correct. (laughs) Per week, (laughs) it breaks down to 1,923 miles. Yes. That is more than a lot of riders that I know do in a summer. Now I live in Minnesota. So the bikes, you know, currently everything's in the garage. So yes. you know, 8,000 mile a year, I'd probably say you're pretty average there, but 1900 of that in a month or in a week. That's crazy. So break that down by the day. Have you done that? Do you know what that is? I thought it was like 265 or something. 274. So I know a lot of people that are super excited to get two to 300 miles a weekend on. Right. On a weekend, like you said, they're going to work. You're doing it on average every day for a year, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we, then we, we go back and we revert back to our buddy Hop, who's done, you know, 100,000 miles in 100 days. And even more significantly, he raised over $150,000 for charity while he was doing it. And it's wonderful because there are so many of us in the community that do do charitable, do do, that do do charitable work. <laughs> Uh, Dana Darcy just set the Guinness World Record for a continuous journey in a country. She did she did over eighty two thousand miles in one hundred and twenty five days. So she was doing six hundred and sixty miles a day for four months. She was so driven to do that ride as well as Hop was with his. That makes me feel kind of small that she took a four month sabbatical from her job to go do that because she she had it on her plate. She said, "I'm doing this." And she's also two-time Hokkaido finisher. And then for Hop, you know, that's absolutely incredible. Do 100,000 miles in 100 days. And both of these people were seeing things while they were doing it. So they just weren't racing up and down the interstate. They, they were dodging storms. They were And they were visiting all these different locations. Dana became only the second person to do every one of the Tour of Honor sites in a year's time, in a season. That's April 1st to October 31st every year for the Tour of Honor. That's how long the season runs. So she did, she did all of them. She did all of them in that four-month span. That's what she used as her goal to help her make her mileage every day, which was impressive, if you ask me. So, uh, and, and then, of course, Hop was seeing all these incredible places across the country that he'd pick off. There was like Roadside America, which is another thing that you can look at for direction to help you find these places. And I do the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm not just running around in circles. And I'd like to use mine also to get me to the iron butt, per se, in the miles to get me to places I want to explore. So not only am I seeing things along the way, but when I get somewhere, I'm going to find things. I'm going to find the historical content that's laying around, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm going to present it in a forum. I'm going to put it out there for other people to see because most people don't have a clue about all this history in our country, good or bad. Put whatever face you want on it, whether uh, whatever it is, man. I mean, you know, that's... that's uh, uh, that's our country. That's how it was built. That's how we've learned to get along and, and seeing these things. And after a while, once you start getting into it, you start, besides you'll read books about it or you'll go delve deeper into it. 
but just going to them and one, you'll get to one and then you'll remember one that you saw two years ago that's a tie into this site, especially with the battlefields and things like that and the the Civil War and the Revolutionary War. And I mean, I was just reading about this general the other day and I'd, I'd been to where he landed over there on Long Island. And he's actually the same guy that took Washington across, uh, I believe his last name's Glover, General Glover. He's the guy that took Washington across the Delaware yesterday. And back in history, that, that one of the first major battles that the Americans won without a single loss of life for the Americans and, and, and took out these Hessians. The same guy that took him across the Delaware is the same guy that rescued him off of Long Island because he had a fleet of boats and he, he made that whole Washington's army disappear from being shoved into the dang ocean. I mean, when you start hearing these times, it just makes me excited, man. I mean, I, I just get all behind this and go, wow. What's next? You know, I mean, what's, what's around this next dang corner? You know, you read about the Salem's witch hunt, and you end up at the cemetery where he's there buried at. And you go, you got to be kidding me. This really happened. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, as you say that, I'm like, wait, that was real? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're cemetery, at the cemetery, they're buried in it. They're all buried in it. Their headstones are as old as when they were killed back then. How? That's nuts. So that all this, nuts. all this time on the road, how did you get the name Go Home Ken? Like, who gave you that? <laughs> how did that come I, about? Uh, Michael Brennan. Michael Brennan's a retired motor patrol officer down in Florida. He's actually from up in Vermont, and he's friends. He's a Hoka Hay friend. He's never ridden in it. He's a metric rider. He rides an incredible amount of miles. He's retired. I just happened to be. I was going to a, a RTE, a ride to eat. With Reef and K Solo, you know them. It was like their second one that they did, maybe the third. I keep messing that up, and I hate to say it because they get mad at me when I do it. But I did an iron butt ride going to their RTE in Oklahoma City. And while I was at it, I was visiting these Tour of Honor sites and these other things along the way. And I was outside Lawton and going to a national cemetery because I thought it was the one that Geronimo was buried at. It was not. But I've been there since. So I'm at this National Cemetery, and it's early in the morning, and it's a little chilly, and the cemetery's not open yet. But the sun is up it's in the summer, and I lay down on that nice asphalt with my helmet on and put my head in the curb and uh, took me a nice little nap. So that guy kicked me on the foot and said, hey, man, are you okay? You know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so when, when he woke me up, I wasn't over rush because I got to get the boogers out of my eyes, you know what I mean, because I've been napping, and, and uh, I popped a selfie because the sign for the National Cemetery was right behind me. And my friend Michael Brennan took that and he superimposed Go Home Ken across the top of it. And I said, that sounds as good as any road name I've ever heard. So I, I texted back and forth, messaged back and forth with him and said, hey, would you mind if I use that? And he said, no, not at all, man. I'd love for you to use it. And I said, okay, well, that's what I'm going to take on as my road name then. And then I superimposed that over the top of the state of Arkansas that there's Go Home Ken, you know, uh, and it's stuck, yeah. which I'm glad because I, you never know what you're going to get for a road name. You know, our friend Twister, she got hers from being on right on the outskirts of that tornado down in Texas, and which I was in as well. And it did $10,000 worth of damage to my motorcycle. I could have ended up with the name Twister. I didn't. It, it went to our friend Kimberly, which is a great name for her. It fits her to a T, right? It does. And actually, she was, uh, she's been on the show. So if you folks want to go back and listen to that, it's season one, episode 17. So I don't know if you heard that episode, but it was, uh, it's one that I get a lot of feedback on. People really enjoyed it. So she, that, was, she was awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. she's a very vibrant young lady, and she can ride the skin off of them tires. I guarantee you that. I've had the pleasure of riding with her quite a bit. Of course, they're, you know, they're reasonably close to me, so I get to bounce down there and see them fairly frequently. Hop and his wife and Kimberly and, and that whole area down there, I like it anyway. I like to go down to Galveston and, and Port A and all of that, especially since it's got sunshine and it's cold up here. So Right. It's funny you're talking about your sticker. I'm sitting here with it in my hand, and I didn't know until just now that the Statue of Liberty is on that sticker as well. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was a great tribute to put on there. I've seen so many of them across the country, and they never bore me. And I'm trying to figure out how to change it up and get the doughboy on there as well. Just make a few changes, just to kind of keep it fresh. My, my first one was just so simple. My first sticker, I uh, just said Ken's 48 and 10 on it with a, a, a crappy bike with a crappy motorcycle on it. It was just like, so every time I look back at it, I just go, wow, that's, that's kind of neat, you know? So it, the thing, things evolve as much as they stay the same, you know? Yeah. Uh, I've been blessed. A friend of mine gave me a whiskey to canter. That's a Statue of Liberty. I've had the Tour of Honor. Uh, one, one of the riders had found uh, E.M. McKesney. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's like a little relief and it's not very big. And it's probably the, it's the doughboy is probably about eight inches, maybe 10 inches tall. And uh, they had it mounted on a plaque and gave it to me. Kenneth Andrews, number one doughboy searcher. It just They just sent it to me out of the blue. I get this thing and I'm like, this is fantastic, man. I love it, you know. And I have a E.M. McKesney doughboy statue myself. They, he used to make lamps and all these other things, but I have. I have an E.M. McKesney Doughboy statue that's about 12 inches tall. Look, I'm looking at it right now trying to figure out who it is. Heck, I have a, I have a, a my old bobblehead that says Go Home Kid on it. How ridiculous is that? My <laughs> that's <daughter> awesome. Gave- <laughs> <laughs> and it, it looks just like me. It's got a Hoka Hay vest on it. It's crazy, man. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So yeah. you, you talk about 48 and 10 and 47 and 10. What's the difference? Yeah. Why? Why 47? Uh because I'm not a very intelligent individual. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, uh, so uh, 2015, this is like my third iron butt ride. I, I, uh, I told my wife, I'd come up with another hair brain. Hey, I've, I've been, as a matter of fact, I went to the Iron Butt Association gathering for the first time that they hold every year in late February, early March on Jacksonville, Florida. And this is where all the Iron Butt guys show up for this big banquet. It's kind of like the very first ride of the year kind of thing. And, and they give out all the awards that happened over the winter during last year. Anything anybody's done cool. And, and they make presentations and they put on programs. And there's banquet dinner. And there's there's kicking tires and telling stories. And it's just bad. I went to that thing and I came back and my wife is like, what is the matter with you? And I'm like, I'm like on cloud nine. I'm like, you're not going to believe this, man. I actually told my friend Ken Coward, who's another long distance rider. I'm like, dude, you got to go to this thing with me next year, man. I mean, you, you're not going to believe this stuff. And he did. And he's been hooked ever since as well. So while I'm there, I'm looking, I'm like, what am I going to do for my next big? Cause I did a, my very first bun burner goal, 1500 miles in under 24 hours. And I said, what am I going to do now? Because I've already done them, and they were pretty dang difficult. Of course, it came, I saw it, the big ride list. It's called the 48 and 10. And you get 10 days to go to all the 48 contiguous states. Or you can add in Alaska if you want, make it a 49-10. Or a plus-plus and go Canada and Mexico. It's crazy, whatever you can do. But I saw the 48 and 10, and I said, well, this would be the first big one that I ever did. And people generally route their own route because that's what makes it a lot more fun. You're designing it. 
You're coming up with your idea, what you think is the right way to do it. You get it down to the least amount of miles you think you can. Because you got 10 days. That's, that's your cutoff. You got to be done. And so I routed my route. Again, another guy was supposed to go with me. He routed from one way and I routed from the other till we got to the middle. And then he backed out on me. And I said, well, I got rid of his half and I went ahead and did mine all the way around, did the whole thing. And I thought I was going to be able to put these tour of honor sites in and yada, yada, yada. And I was watching a couple of other guys that I know that were doing it. And the weather was horrendous. And I had I had leeway on time when I could take off. So I saw that it kind of simmered down. And I took off and I went east first to swing around the country. And about the second day in is when it went to hell. It just turned into like, what are you doing? And why are you doing this? And it was rain and it was sleet and it was hail and it was a late winter. And I mean, it just followed me across the entire top of the United States, all the way back down the East Coast. I remember getting in the Arch of Grace or whatever it is at night and I'm like three in the morning and I'm just wrung out wet. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can get this thing done. And I had to go through like, I think I had to hit like 16 states. It took me 26 hours, and I finished this thing up. I come rolling in Slidell, Louisiana, and I've got like 30 minutes to spare for this 10 days. And I'm thinking this thing is going to be a cakewalk, and I'm exhausted. And I'm there at the gas pump, and I've got my helmet off, and I'm just standing there, and the guy pulls up the gas pump on the other side of me. And I'm, I'm standing there going, wow. And I'm like, I'm basically like in tears, man, because I'm wrong and I got this thing done. And I'm kind of proud. You know, I'm just all of these emotions are swinging through me. And, and this guy kind of looks around to see what I'm doing. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, man, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm right. He says, you look fucked up, man. What, are you, what have you been doing? <laughs> and I said, man, I just finished riding all 48 states in 10 days. He's like, you're kidding me. On your bike, he's like, I got a bike. There ain't no way. So I start talking to him and telling him about this stuff. And of course, you have to have witnesses. He signed one of my witness forms. So I got this done. I rested. I, I went back home. I kind of lollygagged a little bit. And I went back home. When I got home, getting back into the order of my life and getting rested and bringing it all back here. Because it really does exhaust you. People don't realize it until you get done and you finally stop moving. It catches up. Sure. And uh, I got home and... Of course, you have to fill out all this log and you have to have these dated business receipts. That's called a DBR with an address and I have to show the state. And I'm going through them all and I get down to Florida and I'm looking at Florida and I'm going, this doesn't say Florida. This is Flomiston, Alabama. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Wait a minute. I'm running. I'm like digging through these again. I'm like, where's that? No, that's, that's Alabama's after it. This is Florida. That's all right. I start running this through my head. I get on my phone and I pop this open where the picture is because I got a picture of the receipt, my odometer, and I look. It's Flomiston, Alabama, and I have missed Florida by like 1.2 miles. <laughs> and and that I'm like, is how you do 47 in 10. <laughs> and I'm like, no, there's no way. So... I'm sitting there and I'm just wondering what am I going to do? And I'm like, man, the bike needs a new tire. I can't do, I, do I not do anything? Matter of fact, when I'd gotten home, I cleaned up. My wife and I went out to our local little hangout joint and it, it was kind of strange because we're there. And of course, people were living vicariously through me and my friends that, that long distance don't know anything about it, but they're seeing all these places while I'm doing it because I write stories and I use pictures and everything like that to show them. And the bar just starts filling up. 
And I mean, man, this is crazy. This is like a Thursday night. I mean, it's just like wall to wall. And next thing you know, I'm getting a standing ovation. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. So, I, you know, once again, I'm wrung out with all these emotions. My friends are, are clapping and whistling and wooting and saying thanks for showing them. And I'm just like, wow, this is an incredible feeling. And, and then I get to that dog moment where I go, oh, no, I miss Florida. <laughs> so, so what do you do? Do you hide it? Do you not turn it in? Do you not say anything? Do you just blow it off and hope it passes over and you don't have the patch and you don't have the certificate and all that? And, and uh, I called my wife. She said, what's going on? She's at work. I said, I said, I just found out I missed Florida. She said, what? I said, yeah. I said, uh, I was in Flomerton, Alabama. I was in the wrong place. I didn't go far enough. And I, I'd not. I was at a place that wasn't at my original place I was going to go to because I knew I wouldn't make it. So when I changed my plan, that's what threw the wrench in it. And as I always say, plan your ride, ride your plan. That's what you're supposed to do every time. Stick to the course, stay the course, keep focused, and it'll happen. And it did it. And I told her, she said, so what are you going to do? I said, I've already packed my shit and I'm heading to Andrews, who's our son. And I went the next day and started it and rode it all over again. And I'm about, I don't know, four, three, four, five days in. And, and uh, I wrote a Facebook post say, hey, I'm apologizing because I'm, I'm a fraud. I didn't do this. And, and I'm sorry. And I, I want to make it right. But I'm getting this done. And I'm, you know, 5,000 miles in. And I, it's just a cakewalk. The whole trip was just, I'm visiting museums. I'm going to tour of honor sites. I'm going to the beer joint next to my hotel every night, hanging out. I mean, I'm I'm meeting people. I'm getting my book filled up. And it was just like, it was like 10 day ride. It was just great. I had every visit of it. And like that fifth day, Michael Nepon calls me up and he goes like, what are you doing? Well, I just read this thing on Facebook. And I'm like, oh man, I, I, I didn't get it done. Mikey's like, well, no, 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 let's, let's, let's focus on this thing. Let's take a minute. Let's look at this. Let's, let's see what we can figure out about this. Did you yo-yo in? Da, 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 da. You know, I, I think he's helping me try to salvage this thing, you know? And I'm like, Mike, I'm like five days and 5,000 miles in. I'm going to get it done this time. He said, okay, I'll talk to you later. And I hung up. That's it. <laughs> that's the end of the conversation. When you learn his sense of humor, you find out that what that is because he broke it out again on me on like the 2017 IBR. But yeah, I, I went on to finish this thing. And it's kind of funny because I got it done. And instead of staying in Slidell this time, I moved on up the roads. And I was just talking to a guy from this place when I... I just did a couple thousand miles last weekend and I ran into this guy and he's from this town that I was in where I went to spend the night that a friend showed me and it's called New Roads, Louisiana. And this is on a false river. It's the Mississippi changed courses and it created this lake and this little bitty town where General Lejeune of Camp Lejeune fame is from is this town that I went to because it's got this great, this restaurant, this Cajun restaurant and this great little motor coach hotel and a couple of bars, and then you just park your bike, and you can stay right there for a couple of days and enjoy yourself. So that's the first place I stayed to the overnight, and I went out, and I was drinking, and uh, <laughs> and a little common scene here, and I come back to my room, and I turn the light out, and I go to jump in the bed, and I overshoot, and I go over the corner of the bed, <laughs> and drive my head into the wall, which immediately drives me down, knocks me out, drives me down between the bed and the wall, and I'm with my neck pinched, and I'm basically knocked out, and I'm about to die in this hotel room. <laughs> I'm like, I almost, I almost, Craig almost died in that hotel room. It was 
<laughs> and then I had to put a helmet on and wear a helmet on with, with his busted neck and my head's all sore. And it's just like, it's pitiful, man. I got it done. <laughs> what do you think made the second running so much easier than the first? When you had to go weather. and redo it, you, you made it instead of so much easier. So the weather? Yeah, weather. Weather was the definition of the difference. I didn't have it. The weather was gorgeous. Everything was smooth. No mechanical issues. I didn't have any mechanical issues on the first one other than I lost like three fingernails on one on my left hand in a hailstorm on a mountain. I think I was near the first one. I went through Spokane, Spokane, and the second one, I kind of made a couple of little adjustments to it. The second one, I went through uh, Lolo Pass. So the first one, that big mountain that you got to come over before you drop in the valley going into Spokane, a uh, hailstorm, sleet storm hit me on the top of it. And I've got like a semi in front of me and a semi in back of me. And you can't, when you're up, there's nowhere to go. And I'm sure. behind them and there's passing them because it's so curvy up and curvy down. Yeah, there's just nothing you can do. So I, I was at the will of Mother Nature. And a lot of people, they make means about me. And so they're, they're mean to me about it. They're, they're, they bully me because of all the rain and bad inclement weather that I've written. <laughs> the they, they make fun of me and stuff. I'm not real happy about it. You know That's actually one of my questions here is why does everybody say that where there's bad weather, there's Ken Andrews? <laughs> <laughs> that's, part, that's part of it right there, man. I've been in, I was in the IBR, my first IBR. I'm in snow and ice on top of Mount Evans. And I'm just like, I can't believe this weather is this atrocious up here. And of course, it's, you know, you're at the whim of nature up there, 14,000 feet. And I go down on this ice on my motorcycle and my heated grips are so hot. My leather glove is sticking to the bike. So I'm spinning around on this road on top of Mount Evans at like 14,000 feet. And I mean, I'm lucky. I'm just so lucky I didn't go over that mountain. It's not even funny. And I, I had to have people help me stand the bike up and I had to ride it down. I didn't even, I didn't even reach the summit and I didn't get the points for the damn thing. But that's a whole nother story in itself. And the, the 4710 where the, the rain was just incessant. I mean, Ben and uh, Hop and I, we were in a whiteout, basically a whiteout blizzard when we were doing those nine, 1500 miles in a day rides back to back to back. And then we hit ice for 50 miles. And, but the rain, I mean, it just, if you're going to ride 80,000 miles a year, you're going to ride in rain. You're just going to, it's just like I've had wrecks and people are like, well, you know, you, why you still ride? You got that many wrecks. I'm like, man, it's exposure. You're riding 80,000 miles a year. Them opportunities go through the roof and you better be prepared. You better be looking or I just kind of say the average rider, if it was them, they might not be here today. And I thank my lucky stars that I am because, you know, a lot of the awareness and a few of them situations has helped me from not dying, you know. I mean, it's just that's, that's just part of the game when you're out there doing this and you try to be as safe as you possibly can. But there's extenuating circumstances, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And running the numbers, I've done that a number of times. In fact, we all took part in the Hulk of Hay. And when you run the numbers, things are going to happen. So get through everything like you are. Consider yourself lucky. You mentioned it, You mentioned your book. Talk about the book. I think this is the coolest thing that I've heard of any writer do. And I first saw it with Riot. I think he said he got the idea from you. Yes. I, I've had other people taking spin off of it, which I think is incredible. I wish I'd started this back when a long time ago, like maybe when I was 40. I really wish I'd started competing in this stuff way back then as well, because it's just been, just been an incredible journey. But when I did the 48 states in 10 days, I told my wife, I found these little pocketbooks. I think they have, actually, I know they have, they have like 96 pages in them. So front and back, you're talking about 192. 
And they're just little booklets. They have a little strap, rubber strap that holds them closed and a little, uh, little strip that you cloth strip that you can use to mark the page. But I, I grabbed a few of these and um, I showed my wife. I said, look at this. She said, what are you doing now? I said, well, I said, I think I got a great idea. She said, what's that? And uh, I said, I think when I meet people out on the road, I would like to see if I could get them to say something, if they would participate in this ride with me, so to speak, because I wouldn't kid myself to a, a being a blabbermouth, but I, I'm a real social creature. And so when I'm out in these places, I don't want to be there by myself. I want to share in this experience and I want people to know what I'm doing and what we're all doing as, as a community. And uh, so I carry this book and wherever I go and I start telling people, I, I have a, a, a pretty good baseline that I throw down and then people can either take it or not from there. And I ask them if they would like to sign in my book. And it's just this little, it's probably four inches by six inches and people just say nice things or there's characters or there's poems, there's business cards, stickers, and people give me little pieces of things that they have. A lady gave me the, the, um, who's the rock and roll band, the the Rolling Stones, the the lips with the tongue. She gave this to me off her key ring and she's 60. She got it as a present as her 60th birthday and it says 60 on the back. She's a huge fan and she gave this for me. So now it's on my book. The other one I have, the one behind it, because now I have multiple of these, has a, a braided piece of twine that a girl got from her best friend. She said, I don't have anything to give you. I said, I didn't ask for anything. And she said, she's spinning this on a key ring. And she said, why don't you take this? So it's on the outside of my other book. I've just moved and I just found this out as well. I've either lost a book or I miscounted, but I'm actually now on book number nine. And I'm sorry I've told anybody anything otherwise. This is a good time to correct this. So I just finished book number eight. And I'm on book number nine now I started into with all of these people that I've met across the country. And they are just, even to me, they're absolutely amazing to look at because of all of these stories from these other people. And there's money because I raised money for Fisher House. And people people want to be a part of things, which is kind of, you know, people tell me, here, here's a 20. I get it all the time. When people talk to me, here's a 20, put it in your gas tank. I'm like, man, you know, if I'm riding 80,000 miles a year, there's probably a good chance I can afford it, but people want to be a part. And it's like, it seems like it would be a disservice to disregard how they're feeling about that and wanting to be a part of it. So now, uh, instead of taking it back then and they were giving it to me and I started doing things for charity, I'm like, this automatically goes to my charity. So with my book, I leave the money in the book and then I count the money when the book is closed. And then I make that as a donation, but I also sell my patches. And um, also uh, anybody that signs in the book gets one of my go home Ken stickers, just as a measure of goodwill to the, the nice people that I meet across the country. It's a, I, I like that. I tend to call it my hook, but that's kind of, it might seem a little bit rude, but you know, when we walk into places and I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of places and I, I like being near the people. So I'm always trying to like find my hotel next to a Applebee's or Chili's or something, or maybe a little pub next door to it or something like that. But I like to be next to the people and tell my story. So this is always a way for me when I come in. That's the first thing that lays on the counter after I take my helmet off so people can be at ease. Because we look like spacemen with all this gear and everything rolling in, you know, they don't know who we are. They can't define it. And I put them things on the counter and people immediately look and go, what is that? And then if I strike up a conversation, which I'm going to, to the people around me, and I always kind of make sure I talk a little bit loud enough that if anybody's close, they can hear it as well. I'm not trying to be obnoxious. I'm just trying to talk in a nice, clear and concise voice. And I have a good little diatribe that I throw out there. 
and it immediately generally picks up people's attention. And and I'm telling you, when I say with an immediacy, it's just like, wait a minute, what did you just say you just did? And, you know, I mean, this picks people's interest. When you tell somebody you did the 48 states in 10 days, they're like blown away. When you tell them you do 80,000 miles a year, the first thing they want to tell you is you're a liar. A guy, a guy told me yesterday, he's like, I'm from Florida and I ride more miles than most anybody. I'm like, you don't ride more than me. And he's like, there ain't no way you live up here in Arkansas. It's cold. I can't even believe you're on your motorcycle right now. I'm in the middle of, I've got 85,000 miles this year. He didn't catch it. He's still talking. I said, Hey, sir. I said, I've got 85,000 miles already this year. He went, what? I mean, I saw it. I saw it. You know, he took on this whole new persona and he's like, what, what did you just say? I, I don't even know if I can believe you. I told him, I said, I didn't ask you to believe me in the first place. And then the conversation changed and this conversation warranted that now we were talking about something different than what he was talking about. And he heard me and I've heard many other people say this. I'm sorry that I run on with these things, but don't be a lot of times when people do what we do, other people, they don't hear it when we tell them. Yeah, I rode 55,000 miles last year and I visited like 400 sites across the country, all these memorials and monuments. And they don't, they don't hear that. They only hear that, hey, I, I rode 20,000 miles or 10,000 miles, and they don't hear that whole 55, 60,000 miles. And then when they finally do, they go, oh, wow, did you just say that? Or you tell them about a Chris Hopper, and you go, yeah, well, yeah, that ain't really much. My buddy did 100,000 in 100 days. They're like, they don't grasp it. And they do it to him all the time. And it's really kind of exasperating. But then again, you just kind of go, you take it with a grain of salt. Well, that's how it works. And until people listen and hear, it just it, they just gloss it over which uh, it's kind of amazing to me, but you know what? I mean, who are we anyway? We're, we're just people out here doing our thing and this is our passion. It's not necessarily theirs. Right. Right. So, and, yeah. and when people look and say that it's because they can't do it and they don't know anybody that can do it. So it, there's no way it's possible. I, I do get that portion of it. Well, and I see that quite a bit, especially on social media, but I, I really wish to tell you the truth, Craig, I, I, I wish I could uh, attribute the book to whoever I got the similar idea from. Because these things are just to me, they're they're just irreplaceable. They're they're just I've never read one front to back, but I've thumbed through them on many of occasion, and it brought back that sight, that sound, that smell, that bar that I was in, the person that I met and talked to. It, it, it's just they're they're just amazing. I can imagine, and I can tell you, I'm going to start one. I think it's a great idea, Amen. and thank you for sharing it with me, and thank you for telling me that I can. You know, that's not, that's not my choice. If you want to do one, that's on you. And I would think it would be spectacular if you did, because you're never going to get back a lot of these things. And if somebody says something to you and you're flipping through and you look at it, like I, I can tell you, I was I used um, Wapton. Where's that at? North Dakota? And, yes. I used Wapton instead of going all the way up to Fargo. And so, and so it cut miles out for me. Went from there to over to Fergus Falls, right? So yep. uh, I'm on my first 4710, my first 4710. That makes the story so much better, right? Uh, my first 4710, and I fall into this town, and the, the town's blocked off. And I'm like, and there's like five cops standing there. I'm like, hey, what, what's the gig, man? And the officer says, he's the captain. He says, oh, we're having our blue goose days. You can't get through town. And I'm like, no. He said, no. He said, we're going to have a parade, and then once the parade's clear, then people can go through. But you can't go through downtown. You're going to have to go around. But right now, the, the entire town's blocked off. And I'm like, okay, uh, you got a bar or something right here and get me a beer? He said, you're going to drink? I said, I have one or two. I said, I'm, I'm not going to sit here. I, I got to go. And I start telling this guy what I'm doing, right? 
and these officers are listening to me going, you're crazy, man. <laughs> what are you doing this for? And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing this thing. And, and anyway, so there's a little bar there called their celebration they're having is the Blue Goose Days. And the bar is the oasis. Okay. What town is and this? I, uh, Wapton. Oh, it's in Wapton. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Wapton. You cross over that river to go to Fergus Falls, right? There's, yeah. I'm trying to think. There's a border. That's, you know, where the border is, but. Yeah, I'm yeah, trying to right think of the, the river, travel. but yeah, I know I know where that is because that's how we go when we head west. Yeah, instead of, instead of going all the way, instead of going all the way up to Fargo, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so I go in this bar. They have a dealer in there. They have they have they they, they let me see. They have what kind of things they have going on there? They have a shuffleboard tournament going on in there. They have a dealer where you can play cards in there. Money dealer. And this lady is very, very old, very old. And when I, I'm saying she's up in her 80s, probably early 90s, and she's been in this dealing in this bar since uh, Jesus Christ, you know, <laughs> all the way back then. <laughs> and uh, they have these girls that are rather carrying a large carriage on the upper side of their body, and it's you know their eyes is up there. You're supposed to look at, and they have a stripper behind the bar, and they are playing. And you might want to edit this out, but I want to tell you the story anyway. No, sure. They're, 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 they're playing, they're playing um, vagina ball and butthole darts. What the hell not. is that? Well, I'll have to elaborate. So they have a stripper, but she's not completely stripped. She's wearing a G-string, a little panty on the front. And um, she's a very attractive young lady. And so vagina ball, she just kind of pulls her panties out in the front. And you kind of like roll your bill that you're going to tip with. And you just kind of like try to shoot a basket. It's so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> you, just try, you, know, you just try to make a basket. Well, the other end of the thing is butthole darts. And with them, you take your money, paper bills, and you make them into a paper airplane. And that's your target. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'm in. You know me. Hey, I'm a fun-loving guy, man. Hey, Mr. Happy has come out, and he's ready. Mr. Fun is there for action. So I make me like the stealth jet fighter, and I take that point, and I make it real nice and sharp. And I launch it to this girl, and it hits like that little brown patch back there because she ain't bleached this thing. <laughs> and she lets out a little, ow, <laughs> because it kind of sticks, and then falls down, and it's stuck there. And I'm like superhero the rest of the time <laughs> that I'm in this bar. I'm like, my... My status is elevated. So high. <laughs> I mean, I got sick, man. I was like, it is amazing how well these people treated me after that. So, uh, the ladies, even the, even the ladies that, that the dealer lady, I wish I could remember her name. I could pull out the book. She wrote me this elaborate poem in there, and I gave her a sticker, and she gave me her Blue Goose Days vintage. What do you call them? Oh, gosh. It's got a, a pin. It's a pin. A button. A button. Like a campaign button. Yep. Yeah, it says Blue Goose Days on it. It's about a four-inch disc, and it's got a Blue Goose on there. It says Blue Goose Days. And, and she gave me her vintage pin that she's had ever since she's worked in that place. Oh, that's awesome. So I am yeah. not going to edit that out unless you want it out, but I have to, I should probably go back and change your intro to the man, the myth, the marksman, and the legend. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, you ever get a chance? And that's not the finish of the story. So I go back. I'm back in Wapiton. 
I go back there and um, because I'm on a doughboy hunt years later. Okay. Um, I got my picture taken with these police officers. They signed my book. I got my picture taken with them, everything like that. And there's four of them. I still have the picture. I signed it. Um, but I go back there a few years later, and they have a doughboy. And I have my bike, and I have my flag out. And I'm taking the pictures. It's at the courthouse, and it's beautiful. And here comes a police cruiser coming up. And I'm like, uh-oh. Because they'll usually just, like, look, and I'll wave, and they'll drive on by, you know. And uh, no, man, they get out. And this guy's like, hello? I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm taking some pictures here, you know. And, and and the guy is, like, very suspect. And he's got another officer with him. And this guy's big, the sergeant. And and this guy's, like, giving me the 20 questions, everything like that. I'm like, hey, man, I'm, I'm not here for anything other. I'm, I'm this dough boy. I, I visit him all over the country. I've actually been through here before and da-da-da-da. And the other officer speaks up. He said, I know who you are. Uh, and, and I go through my whole diatribe and I got my book out now and I'm asking this cop, he's like, sign my book. But before I get to that, the other guy goes, I know who you are. I'm like, really? He said, yeah. He said, I've met you before. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, the last time you were through here, you were doing like 48 states in like 10 days or something. I was like, yes, sir, I was. He said, I'm the guy that's not in the picture. He said, my chaplain made me take that picture, y'all. And I was like, why don't I get to be in the picture? He was upset about the whole deal. Oh. Right? <laughs> and, and he's like, and I didn't get to sign the book. I'm going to get to sign the book this time, aren't I? I'm like, oh, you absolutely, you dang sure right you are. So he is now a sergeant and he's the training officer for this new guy. So then we just have this wonderful conversation sitting there, right? I figured he was coming up pissed off because you flew a paper money dart <laughs> up his girlfriend's butthole. <laughs> You can't can't make that stuff up, man. I got to tell you, right? And, um, you know, that's that's a part of it. I I did this interview. I forget what magazine it was, but it was, I'd done the 48 and 10. And it it, it was this lady that wrote for this small fish wrap. And and it was up at Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue. And she did this big interview with me and stuff like that. And and, and I'm talking with her and she's like, she's like, so, you know, what what makes it so different? What makes you so different? What makes it so, so special? I said, well, I think one of the things about it is, is that all of these stories and these places and these things that I've seen, I said, it, it seems so unreal to so many people, but I don't have to embellish on it. I can just sit down and we can start having conversations and I can start ripping off stories from these places I've been and these things that I've done. And it even astonishes me because I, I just go, I, I just, can this actually be real? Can, can this guy be telling me the truth? You know, because it makes you question it, right? I mean, when somebody tells you, yeah, I've done 80,000 miles a year for four years in a row, and now I'm trying to do 100,000 miles a year, they're just like, what? You know, because most people's lives don't get anywhere near that, you know, or, or being able to spend that much time out or, or the affordability or the time, even the time itself, because everybody's life is so filled with so much stuff, right? So it, it just, it's just all just so amazing when it's all tied together. No, I, and I, I know you and I've gotten to know you and I don't doubt your stories at all. So I think it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) That one's pretty funny though. (laughs) So talking numbers, you're talking about numbers, right? And running the, just running the numbers, you run so many miles, things are going to happen. That leads me to question, how many speeding tickets do you have? Um, Not a lot. They, they are our enemy. You, they'll take your license nowadays. Right. They, they have reciprocity across the state. I found this out a, the hard way. I actually got pulled over the other day uh, going down to Texas, and I was just I was just talking on the phone and la di da, and, and, and Louisiana is terrible about it, and they got me. 
and the guy was real hissy about it. But man, I went on one stretch, kind of like hop. I went on one stretch. I went through like five, pulled over like five times and didn't get a single citation out of it. But back when I first started really getting this and like my, my first hoka hay and everything, and I, I started getting tickets and it seemed like every time I turn around, I'd never gotten one in Arkansas, but I got called into driver control and I hadn't a clue. And this is very good information for people. I hadn't a clue that there was reciprocity between the states. I get called in and I know, I know the driver control. I'm going to mention his name. I know him personally. And he's like, Ken, he said, uh, what you doing here? I said, I don't know. Y'all sent me a letter. He said, I have a seat. We're in his office. He's like, Oh, I see what it is. And I said, what's that? He said, uh, you've got a lot of speeding tickets. I said, not in Arkansas. He said, no. He said, Colorado, Utah, Kansas, Montana. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've got some of those tickets. He's like, um, you know, the states have different point values. I'm like, point values? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm oblivious to this, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. He said, uh, Colorado and Kansas is like the worst. You get a speeding ticket, like four points. I'm just like, points? Okay, this is bad. He said, yeah. He said, I said, well, what are we talking about here? He said, well, he said, in the state of Arkansas, if you have 11 points, I can either put you on probation or take your driver's license. I'm like, what? He said, yeah. And I said, okay. He said, you want to know how many points you have? I'm like, I'm not sure. He said, he says, you have 21. Oh, and I, geez. oh, oh that, that, that can't be good. And I know in another like 16 months, I'm going to be in my first IBR and you got to have a driver's license. And I'm like, that, that's not good. He's, and of course, he, uh, people say things like privilege and stuff. And I believe I got a little privilege on this. He said, I'm, he said, I'm going to restrict your license, but I'm not going to put you on probation. He said, and I'm going to put you on probation for a year. And if you go six months, I'm going to re- remove this. Uh, I, I got two more tickets. Like in the same day, doing an iron butt ride, I rode from here. All I call it the big toe. I rode from here to Venice, Louisiana, which is like five hundred and thirty something miles. So it's an iron butt ride there and back. And I went down there and had blue crab for lunch and came all the way back. And I I caught two speed traps on the way down there and back, and uh, one down and one on the way back. And both of those police departments had their ability to be able to write tickets taken away from them. And uh, one of them has been restored and the other one has not because they were speed traps. But they called me in again and he put me on a year's probation and then I got everything cleared up. And I since got rid of everything until the Hoka Hey, I, I got one. So now I'm back. I got points on my but I think it's only like two points from up there. So it's not too bad. But yeah, so watch what you're doing out there. Because I, I thought I was being a good citizen and, and I'd get my speed ticket and I've just paid the dang thing. And though did I realize they were mounting on me. But like I got one the other day down in, in Louisiana, most states, if you check into it, have a program where you could take, and it costs more money, but you could take a rider safety program. And a lot, some of them are comedy programs. And some are, you know, they, they make them where they're somewhat entertaining and they, they're going to take up your whole day. But that's, it's worth it to go ahead and pay your fine and, and go take the course so you don't get the points. And they'll generally, I think like Texas, you could take one like every six months. But most states, it's only you can do it like one time a year. So it'll save your skin for people out there that don't know about that. And, and it's worth it. And, and I try to, I, I really, really do try to stay within the confines of the law. Because, you know, doing most of these things, you really don't have to break the law to make them happen. You only, for a thousand miles in 24 hours, you only have to average 42 miles an hour. Well, that's going to take you 24 hours. I don't want to do it 24 hours. I want to do it in 14, 15, somewhere in that range. You know, a bun burner gold, 1500 miles an hour. All you have to do is average, all you have to do is average 62 miles an hour. 
So, you know, you don't have to be out there riding 100 miles an hour. So I'm like five to seven, maybe nine over, or I'm in the flow of traffic. You go ride I-95 or 75 in Florida, there's no boundary down there, man. You you better keep over. You're going to get run over. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I can relate to that one. Yeah, man, that's it's crazy. You you just and if you've been away from there for very long, boy, you 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 get out of there and it's like immediate go, hey, pick it up, man. You you got to get away from these people. And they all and they yo-yo the traffic yo-yos. So you know, lane splitting and, and kind of filtering is your best bet to get away from it. I don't care how mad they get. I'm like, I can't sit here and go ninety to zero with you people because somebody's going to hit me. And being hit is no fun. I'll tell you that right now. I've had my incidences. You've had one of those recently, haven't you? I, I did. I had a guy hit me from the rear and totaled my bike. He hit me so hard and he pushed me in the vehicle in front of me and I flew over the top of the vehicle in front of me. And just before that, I was in Florida and a kid ran a red light, turned left in front of me and I T-boned him. I made a little move at the end and he was going fast enough. I clipped him on the rear and I thought I was going to get run over. I mean, I was sure of it. I mean, I've been, I've been T-boned. I had a guy came cross traffic and T-boned me before. I've I'm just, I mean, you know, things happen out there. You've been, I've been hit from behind by another motorcycle. I mean, it's just, it's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. That is why you keep your head on a swivel, right? Amen. Amen. You know, people, people are funny about that too, because they'll, they'll be really rude to, you know, they just say, well, you had, you know, like I've talked about before with the incidences and it's like, you should have been, you should have been in gear and you should have been pointed this direction and da da da. And it's just like, Hey man, these are bang, bang scenarios. You just hope you have the best outcome. It doesn't have anything to do about you. I mean, if you escape, you can escape. If some fool is not paying attention and you have to come to that. I mean, this was all, it was all precipitated by a guy that actually crossed in front of a vehicle and the vehicle stopped on this main highway. So it was just like that. Bang, bang, bang. You know, that guy made the pedestrian made the mistake. He should have waited. I mean, that car had the blinker on everything. I saw it. I saw it going down. I didn't hit the guy in front of me because it went bang, bang, bang. But that guy was on his cell phone. You know he was. And he hit me so hard. If that car hadn't have been in front of me, he'd have ran me over. I'd, I'd probably be dead. It, hmm. That's all there is too bad. I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah, it is. In the intro, it says you're a master traveler. Explain that. What makes a master traveler in the national park system? With the Iron Butt Association, was, which does a lot of certifications with all these different rides and programs and things like that, they have one that's called the Master Traveler Program. To, and there's all different levels that you can seek to get of this. I did one, which was a little bit different because it tied the Tour of Honor one to have their own. So it's tied in with them. But all of the sites, the national parks, that you see have to, they, they all, it's their specific. They have to, they only have 160 versus the 424 that are available in the national park system. And all the 160 they have, they have some type of military first responder and things tie into them. Then the criteria is the same. You have to see at least 50 parks in 25 states. And there's a certain amount of them that have to be west of the Mississippi because the east is just loaded. I mean, you could go in the east and you could see just it's just loaded. So 50 parks, 25 states and so many that are over across the Mississippi River. And I actually did the Tour of Honor one with the excuse me, with the Iron Butt Association. You get 12 months to do it. 
with the tour of honor, you just get the seven months of their riding season, April 1st to October 31st that I explained before. So that the criteria is much stiffer and the amount of parks is less. So it's, it's pretty dang difficult to get that one. I'll say, and of the other people that I've seen that have done it, they said it was very difficult as well. So I'm going with it's pretty tough. I actually logged, I think, 82 national parks in the time that I did it in. So you get this master, master traveler certificate, then you can go to different levels. They have silver, gold, all, all different kinds of plat. I'm, I intend to do one with Iron Butt Association because that opens up all the parks. And I'm pretty sure in a year's time, if I just devoted my focus just to that, I could, I could really knock out some national parks. But that being the case, the 424 in the national park system, I've been to about 325 of them and probably a couple more than that, which is just, they're, they're, they're fabulous. I have, I get the hiking stick medallions. I love stickers, pins, poker chips, you name all that stuff. I'm, um, I call them the smalls and I pick them up everywhere and I share them with friends and, and I've got a great collection of that stuff you can look at and just go, wow, that's neat. I don't know if I would ever do it. That's a lot of waste of money. And I tell people that uh, it's just something else that people will throw away when I die. But I like the hiking medallions and I have, I have two hiking sticks that I've made with medallions and one has like 97 medallions on it. The other one's got like 83 medallions and I've got pressed pennies. I've got, I've got a gallon bag full of them that I could probably make at least two more walking sticks with. So it's just, it's just, I think it's cool. And, and I know one of these days when people, you know, they always say, man, you should stop riding like that. I'm like, no, when I, when I get old, I, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to look at all this stuff that I've, this junk that I've gathered up and just go, wow, you know, just amazing. One thing, you know, you talk about giving this stuff away, which brings to mind, I always, it seems like a number of times I have seen you give away challenge coins. Yes. Am I remembering that correctly? Okay, so first off, what's um, the story behind the challenge coin? And then the history of the ahead. challenge coins. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, I'm looking for the story and the history of the challenge coins. But when you were talking there, I'm thinking of, yeah, it's it's you that's always given out a challenge coin. Not to everybody, but I see you giving them out here and there. I've been around you enough to see that it's not just a one-time thing. So yes. explain that. The challenge coins were started in the military, and they generally started with the upper command. And there were these things that they passed between each other. And it, it didn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't even aware of it when I was in the military, but, but I have friends that have served uh, after me, because that was a long time ago, that's 40 years ago, that have been a part of it. Uh, Reef, uh, Sharif Asidik, uh, who's our friend in, in Hokahe as well, he has a collection that rivals some that I've seen of generals and colonels and things like that, because he was stationed abroad and, and where he was at, all these ships came through and, and all these different groups of people were making their own. So it, it moved from the hierarchy down to the common soldiers. And, and, and different things around the country have them. Like you can get them through the hog mileage plan that have the 50 rides in one nation. And each state has an iconic route on it. And if you go take this placard there, you can get that state's challenge coin through the hog program. The Tour of Honor has challenge coins. They started out with them as their trophies. And so you got this little stand that would hold them up. And I didn't say that earlier. When you do the Tour of Honor, when Tour of Honor kicked off April 1st, whoever gathers all seven of them in the state, the first three riders get a trophy until all the trophies are gone. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a madhouse. I, I have a lot of them. <laughs> I have I have a lot of them, <laughs> which is pretty fun. And I didn't realize this because it, it kind of ties into them. Those challenge coins were all dated to the year that they were from. And then the Tour of Honor started putting out challenge coins that you could buy 
so that you could give to people that you meet, soldiers, first responders, anything like that, just as a goodwill token to go, hey, let me tell you about this and I appreciate your service type of deal. So after they came out with that, the next thing they did is something that's very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, like myself, is they made one of their Tour of Honor Challenge coins and they put the Vietnam Veterans Campaign ribbon on it. And when when they did that, I said, oh, that's me. That My dad was a uh, Vietnam era. Uh, he couldn't go because he had flat feet. They wouldn't let him go. And he was a volunteer. My uncle Tony did two tours. He was drafted. And he was a tunnel rat. And he still batshit crazy. So, so that one became near and dear to my heart. So I purchased them through the Tour of Honor. And I keep them with me all over the country. And... Vietnam veterans are easy to knock off. They generally, they're generally either wearing a, a hat. They're, they're proud of their service, but they weren't recognized for their service. They, they are the most ill-treated soldiers I've ever heard of in any country and anywhere in the entire world. It's, it's an undue service to them. And, and I think they're incredible men that, that survived those circumstances and made it back home to build families and careers and lives after being broken men fighting in jungles without the proper support that they should have had. I so I love, I love to share the Tour of Honor mission. I, I love to give them one of their challenge coins. It elicits the same response from every one of them. And I generally like to try to get them to sign my book. And I sit there with them as long as they would like. I'll buy them lunch. I it it's just my thing, man. And I I just I I just dig it. And they'll relate stories, and you can tell it brings them back. And and they're they're just so deeply appreciative that somebody would take that little bit of time out of their day to talk with them and tell them how much that they're appreciated and that we're glad that they're here. It's just, it's very special to me and I really like it. And I go through a lot of them. So the tour of honor is like, where are you putting all of these? You know, and I'm like, I just meet these absolutely fantastic people. I, I was in this place called Cedar Key, Florida uh, last year. And I just saw this, this little old man and he is just frail and his wife's walking with him and he's on a cane and he's walking slow and he's sitting on this little rock bench and he's got his Vietnam, he's got the Vietnam campaign on his hat. And I'm, I'm, he's sitting on, not on a bench, he's sitting on this rock wall. So I go saddle up right next to him, man. How you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. And we start chatting and he's just had the surgery and he's 94 years old. Not only is he a Vietnam veteran, he is a World War II veteran and a Korean War veteran and a Vietnam War veteran, all in action in every one of those wars. And he's still alive. That's awesome. And this man has got me. I mean, I am wrapped up in this little old bird. I'm like, you need me to carry you somewhere? <laughs> you know, you want me to go get my, my motorcycle? You want me to go get a car? Can I do something for you? He's like, no, I just had this back surgery and I'm recovering. And his wife there and she, she goes uh, across the street. She, I told him they should go to this restaurant. And she goes across the street so she can make a reservation. And she does and comes back. She says, we got a reservation. And so I walk with him across the street. And I, I kind of hold his arm while we're doing it. And she's on the other side. And we're kind of chatting. We're get in the restaurant he's got to sit down and and she had to use the, the restroom and so i'd already given him the challenge coin and and we're sitting there kind of chatting he said you know he said i broke down there a little and i'm sorry i'm like hey it's, it's no problem by me sir i, I mean I, I i just appreciate being able to give that to you and he's holding it and he's got it in his hand and he's just trembling i mean this this man and he, he's actually almost convulsing because he's crying so hard 
his wife has walked off to the bathroom and she comes back and I'm, I'm just like, Hey, what is she thinking about this situation? Because here I am with her husband and you know, she's, she's mama bear and he's, he's crying and he's incredibly emotional. And he's telling me his son was an ace in Vietnam and his son was killed by a roadside explosive device, an IED while he was in Vietnam, hmm. even though his son's an ace pilot. And, and that just, it, it just, took him to his core and he's telling me this and I'm sitting there and I'm crying with him. I mean, cause this man, we're holding hands. He's, he's holding that challenge coin. Like he's gripping life right there. And I can see he's just, that's just going through his head and his wife's right there with us. And now there's like three of us and we're together in this little tight circle and people are walking by. You can't even imagine what they're thinking, you know, with this situation that's playing out in front of them. And I'm just, my heart is filled and it's big. It's, it's like the Grinch. It's like my chest is 10 times too small or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? It is just blowed up right there, man. Yeah. I, I may be a little passionate about that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I'm, I'm glad to be able to share that with you. It's uh, I'll do it as long as I have it available. Yeah. That's cool. I was wondering, so I, you always give them out and that's, I've seen that in the past and I just kind of was wondering what was the yeah. story with that? So that's cool. I can see why you give them out. Totally. Yeah. I always have them on my bike. I have them in my truck too. And that's the thing with the books for people to sign the books, people all the time. I want to sign your book. I'm like, you can't sign my book unless I'm on my bike. Cause that's the only time that I have it with me. So, because that's what part of the story is. It's mm-hmm. not in my truck. It's they're actually, they're sitting on my desk right now. Cause I was, I was looking at a couple of people, what they wrote from this last trip that I went on. So I just happened to have them with me because I had to take my bike to get it serviced. And, and I don't like them to be anywhere without my company. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You talked about getting a speeding ticket in the Hoka Hay. You also mentioned in a previous conversation about the Hoka Hay being the monster for you. It is. I, I don't know why. I, I can't. I don't know why it could be like this because I've, I've, I've tried to. I know when I first did the Hoka Hay, I, I probably wasn't as humble as I should have been, and, and it cost me. Um, I actually was kicked out of my very first Hoka Hay. Like I, I was, I was probably about a half a day shy of the last checkpoint, and I'd taken a shot of whiskey, and another guy saw me do it, and uh, he turned me in. And when he turned me in, they they kicked me out of the Hoka Hay. Um, we were actually on the on the Shenandoah, the Blue Ridge Parkway and the Washington Jefferson National Forest. And this other guy and his daughter and I had stopped at a, a scenic overlook. And it's kind of it's beautiful. It was, uh, there's an apple tree. Up. I'm sure it wasn't wild, but, you know, there had to be, at some time, there had to be a homestead there because apple trees just don't grow wild. You know what I'm saying? Right. And they decided to take a nap, him and his daughter. And I was there talking to one of my friends because I had signal for the first time in forever. Um, myself and this guy had been riding together for a while. One of, one of the worst places I'd ever happened on, on the Hoka Hay was with this guy and his daughter. And that's another story. But uh, so I'd, I'd take a couple of shots and he's like, what is that? I'm like, Apple Crown. He's like, like no, nah, no, thanks. Because I offered him, you know, and, and, and I'd just take a couple of shots off his bottle. I'd, and I'm not trying to play it down a couple of shots because I did. And, and their, their rule stated, don't drink and drive. Well, I wasn't drinking and driving. And mm-hmm. they'd actually lay down and taken a nap. And I'd talk to my friend. And this was fresh cut grass, and it was a beautiful summer day, early summer, and we're in the shade, full gear, my helmet on, and I laid back on this embankment, and I took me a nap. And I woke up, and it was funny, and because they were gone, 
And that kind of struck me as very odd that they would just leave and not go, hey, or anything. But I think nothing of it. I just jumped on my bike and got to ride. And I probably rode another five, 600 miles and I got a phone call. And they told me that they got a call that I was drinking on the road and I had to get out of the Hoka Hay. And I tried to plead my case and they didn't want to hear anything of it. So I had plans to do things after I was going to be done with the Hoka Hay anyway. I even had people call me and tell me, go finish it anyway. Don't listen to that. That's bull. And so, but I, I just kind of licked my feathers and mounted up, got me a hotel room and turned around and started doing what I do and made my way back home. So that's my first experience was it. And I was angry. I was, I, I was incredibly angry. I was beside myself and I had a lot of hate in me and everything. And, and even though I knew it, I, I, I knew in my heart that I was going to do the Hoka Hay again. What year was and that? It, the first one? Uh, 2016. Okay. So uh, it, it was an incredible journey. I had totaled a motorcycle. I didn't total it, but it did uh, It did like $16,000 worth of damage. I in outside Dinosaur, Utah, I was riding with the two fellows from South Africa, Frank and Reggie. And we were in like a, we just stopped and we put on our rain gear. Why I took off my leather coat, I don't have a clue, but I put on our rain gear because there's a light drizzle. And we're pounding down the highway outside of uh, Vernal, Utah. And this elk cow jumps over the guardrail right in front of me. And I broadside this sucker bigger than Dallas, man. I plowed into this thing. I dislocated my shoulder and tore my rotator cuff. They rode with me back about 85 miles to Vernal, Utah, and they had Vernal Motorsports there. Richard, I believe the guy's name that owns it. Great guy, man. I The next morning, Frank and Reg took off. Chuck Marvel came in. Chuck Marvel was there when I woke up. I bought a new motorcycle. I got back on the Hoka Hay. So I totaled a motorcycle. Not totaled, but pretty damn close. Turned around, bought a new one. My shoulder, I, I remember looking at, at Frank and going, Frank, am I okay? Is my shoulder broke? And I remember grabbing both my shoulders and kind of shaking me going, no, nah, I think you're okay, man. So I guess I popped it out <laughs> and popped it back in. I still carry fur from that damn thing in my wallet. I I, I, I was sure I killed it. We're sitting there and I'm like, we got to get all this stuff out of the highway before somebody comes through and it kills them. You know, my bike, all this stuff off the bike and everything like that. And and we're just doing that. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, I guess it was Reggie went, where, where'd it go? I'm like, what? And we looked and this thing was just crashed. I got a picture of it. It's wiped out. And we drug it. It took all three of us to drag this thing out of the highway. And I think it was a muley. I don't know, man. It's the biggest deer I've ever seen. And it's gone. So it's somehow it's got up and it's walked away. And I don't have a clue where this thing went. Because I'm probably doing 75 when I hit this thing broadside. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't just like a, a barely hit. It was like a pow, you know. And this thing's gone. But I rode, I got on that bike, and I rode that next day. And at that time, people weren't, there were some people, but very few were, are, are like they are now. I've watched, I've watched this thing evolve. I've been at four of them. And, I mean, I, I rode two days in a row, man. And I mean, I'm like 1,000 miles a day, 1,000 miles a day. And I'm, I can barely move my shoulder. I mean, I remember I was, I was riding with Chuck and them, and I was on top of a mountain somewhere, Colorado, and I'm like, I pull over, and they come up, I'm like, what up? I said, I got to lay down, man. And, and they're like, what? I'm like, I got to get off this bike, or I'm going to go off this mountain. I think we're outside of Bale. I think we come up to there, and um, I'm, I'm almost positive of it. So I, I find this town that's up there, and I, I swing around the back side of these buildings, and I'm like, I got this perfect place to camp out, right? I got this. I just got a, I have a sleeping bag and a tarp and a pillow. That's, that's my modus operandi. 
And I set up, I get in my sleep, I strip down, get in my sleeping bag, and, and I wake up in the morning, and I have a damn a moose looking in at me going, what are you doing, man? You know, he's, he's looking at me on top of this mountain, and it is cold. It, I got to get out of this thing, and I am, I am on the side of a grocery store, and there's people, they're everywhere, man. I mean, and, I, and I'm in my skivvies, you know, and I'm like, oh, man. I thought I thought I was hid, baby. I thought I was. Ain't nobody see me here, right? Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm right out there in front of everybody, just looking at it all, and it's like 20 degrees outside. It's terrible. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I I rode and I got myself back in. I was all the way across the top of the country, tunnel of trees down through Ohio, and all the way back up. And our next checkpoint was Rhode Island, and I'd have been there. I I fully intended to ride that entire night to make it to Rhode Island and, and keep on going to go finish off the ride. So all I had one more checkpoint to go about 2,500 miles. They sent my ass to the house. So I had to wait another two years, two more years, 2018. Great start, man. I, I make the first checkpoint. I am there. Billy Fultz is way out front. He's like crazy, man. But I'm like, there's, we're like the first three or four in the checkpoint. Take off the, the next day. I mean, we're like 2,500 miles in two days. So, we're out the door the next day, and I, I was heading to the second checkpoint a few hours out, and I got in a storm, and this storm was horrible. And a couple of them had come together and merged, and I actually found out later that eight people had died in a factory that this tornado hit. And I am talking with my wife on the phone. And this is one of the few, this second time, first time was on the 48, 47, 10. My wife told me, get off the road. You're going to die. This is the second time I was in a storm that bad. And she's, and, and she's like, get off the road. I said, I'm in Iowa. There is nowhere to go. There's not a bar ditch. There's not a culvert. There's nothing. Mm-mm. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to get off the phone. And I'm, I'm like, do not get off the phone. If I'm going to die, I want you to hear me. That, that I've wrecked so you know so you can call somebody she stayed on the phone with me I rode through this mess and I hit I wasn't going too terribly fast but I come over this rise and, and, and I, was, I was hitting the cliff you know it's Iowa they're straight and then they put curves in, and then it's straight yeah. again they put curves in and I'm coming over this rise and when I come over the top there's a wash of gravel across the road with water on it and I kind of swing a little wide in this curve and I make it through it and I'm okay and I'm pounding again and it ain't it ain't 100, 150 yards later, and there's another one, and it sends me off the road. And there is no breakdown lane. There is It's mustard, mayonnaise, dirt, and everything is soaked. So there is no – it drops about five, six inches, whatever, eight. I don't know, man. It's, I don't remember. I could go right back to – I know exactly where it is. I marked it. Well, I didn't have to mark it. It's already marked. But I go, and I tell people, I, I said I, – it high-sided me, and I said, it literally threw me as high as it did far. And when I came down, I landed kind of like on my shoulders and my, my, the top of my shoulders and my head. And it just knocked me for a loop. And I uh, roll over on my hands and knees. I'm kind of trying to shake it out. And this guy walks up to me. He's like, hey, mister, mister, you need to stay down. You stay down. I saw everything. I'm like, who the F are you? And where is my bike? This is all I can think of. And I'm, I, I get up and I'm like trying to, you know, measuring me out to see if I'm still alive for real, you know, and, uh, and, and I just see corn and, but my bike is down there somewhere and I can't see it, but I'm alive. Hmm. 
And, so uh, is your wife listening to this whole thing? No, I'd actually made it through that storm. Okay. I made it through the storm and I'd stopped in this Y in the road and I'd taken a video of these two storms that were coming together into one that killed them people. I mean, it was, you could just see them. It was outrageous, man. I'd made it through this thing, you know? So this is a little bit after the fact. And so I'd survived. And cops showed up. And then, of course, I had to get a tow to come drag my bike up out of this stuff. And uh, my daughter happened to be up at, Amy happened to be up at the checkpoint waiting for me. One of my phones is missing, but the other one is there. And I think the cop's trying to see if he can find dope or something. He's like, oh, well, I'm going to see if I can find your phone. I'll bring my dog back out here. I'm like, what do you need a dog to find a phone for? <laughs> and no, I'm not high. Blah, 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 blah. So I got all my gear off the bike and everything. And, and uh, the tow truck driver took me to town. And Mark Hodge, another Hoka Hay driver, my daughter Amy came and got me. I took me to the hotel and I'm bad hurt. Like I'm hurt so bad I can't sleep all night. I may have dozed off for a minute or two. But Mark Hodge called me the next morning. He took a hey he's from here in Arkansas. He actually has a black arrow. He uh he said, What are you doing? You're not moving. I said, Man, I said I I told him my bike out last night. He said, Where's your other bike? I said, At the house on the trailer. He said, You want me to go get it and bring it to you? I said, really? He's like, Yeah. I said, Yeah. So he said, okay. He said, all I got to do is change clothes. I'll be on the way. So him and his wife, Petey, 28 hours after that, they were they were in Iowa with my motorcycle. Hmm. And I got back on it, and I rode it again. I finished in fourth place. Um, when I left the second checkpoint, there were like 32, 34 riders were in front of me when I was like in probably second or third, right behind Fetty. I think I was in third. No, I probably, probably in second. I was behind Fetty. Billy was 16, Fetty was 18. So I, all these people had passed me, so I'd get back on my bike, and I'm there, and I have to swap all the stuff out, my tractor and everything, and, and I get on the road, and I'm on this stretch of highway. It's like a 450-mile stretch of highway we're on. I could look up the highway number. I should have it memorized. But I see a cop coming at me, and he hits me with his lights, and I'm like, what the heck is this? So Were you speeding? I pull over. I'm doing like, this is a 55. I'm doing like 58. Okay. He writes me a ticket for that. He, he wants to know. He's seen all these riders. He said, you're speeding. I said, man, come on. I'm, I'm a couple miles over. He, he, he wants to know. What are you doing? Who are you with? What are you? Blah, 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 blah. This kid was angry. He's a young guy. I said, what, what are you angry about, man? I said, I'm, I'm a couple miles over. You're going to write me a ticket? He's like, yeah, I'm writing you a ticket. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm, now I'm ugly because he's already told me. You know, he's not letting me out. What are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you going that way? That's not the direction. You're from Arkansas. What do you mean you're going to Spokane? Da, 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 da. He's just railing me. I'm not giving him anything. Whereas I've been full over before and told the cop exactly what we were doing. And he said, I'm the sheriff here and I'm going to tell my deputies to give you guys a pass. Right? So, so, uh, I get my ticket. I take my, I take my list. I get my ticket and I ride on and I finished in fourth. After losing 28 hours, I finished in fourth, right? It was fifth. He chased me for days. He said, I wanted to ride with you. I thought, I thought you were trying to pass me. <laughs> uh, I get in, and when I get in, I immediately take my ticket to Beth. And I said, Beth, look at this. She's like, oh, no, this is catastrophe, right? This is the second one now. And I'm like, look, they got programs. I'll go take the program. I'll make the ticket go away. I said, I've already talked to my secretary. This, this thing won't even exist. She's like, you make that happen. So they have the award ceremony and there's only like, they had the award ceremony. There were like, I don't even know if there were 20 people there. At the end of the road party? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 
that that was a that was a tough ride, man. There were there weren't many people there at all, and uh, it's kind of funny to watch because I'm waiting for my buddy Ken to come in. He came in, you know, like right right that night of the end of the road party because it broke down and lived next to Harley dealership for like four days. Got a brand new engine, and and so I'm waiting for everybody else too. And I have the award ceremony, and I got an elite rider belt buckle, and I got a dance stick. I was given the I have the yellow dance stick, which stands for integrity. Uh, it's yellow and orange for the rising of the sun, and uh, which is just an incredible piece. I love it. And uh, Beth basically gave the speech and said, "Hey, this this is what this is about. We're, we encourage people that if you get a speeding ticket." You don't keep riding the Hoka Hay. You can ride it, but you're out. At the time, the Hoka Hay rule was if you got a speeding ticket, you could get none of the higher prizes. You can't, you can't be, get the first place trophy and you can't get any of the other items that, that are available for riders. And they gave me a dance stick and they gave me an elite rider belt buckle. And after the fact, somebody complained and somebody complained. Somebody complained that I was given the dance stick and the elite rider and they wanted to know if I'd get them back. And I said, I basically wrote a nice email and said, nah, there's no Indian giving going on here, folks. I I basically said, I I didn't ask for them. You got together as a board and you gave these gifts to me. They're mine. And I will tell my story the way I see fit. They took away my finisher status. And at the time, you could still be a finisher. You just couldn't get these gifts after the fact they changed it so i didn't get a finisher status so that's my second one the third one ken carry hit me on day one from behind and two cars ran me over i got compound tip bit fracture very first day i was out in 2020 and then in and that i, I was the most positive i've ever been for a okay hey i think except for maybe this one because i was on cloud nine for this one uh not um, emotionally uh energy wise i was just so ready and this last one, 2022, I got a speeding ticket six and a half hours in. I'm done. And I'm not going to say it's for the best, but my business really needed me. So I, I had to get on. The, I got down the road instead of instead of going and riding it out. And, and I really think it's not my job, but I'll just say it because it's my opinion. I, I really think you should be able to be a finisher. That's just my opinion. But I'm not on the board, so I don't get to make that decision. And I will ride it again. Are you going to do the one in 24? Absolutely. Why not? It's great. How do you spend, what, three to $5,000 in one of the greatest rides you will ever do in your entire life? Yeah. No, curious. I was just curious if you plan on doing the next yeah. one or uh, or kind of what your thought I, was. I don't know when I won't do them. You know? I mean, I've been given my patch set. I'm, I feel like I'm part of the family, the community. I'm a, a great supporter, a great promoter of it. It's one of the most iconic rides that you can do in the world. I love to use that word, uh, that you can do in the entire world. It is absolutely phenomenal, and it will put you through it. And you have to know your limits, or it will kill you. It is, it is a tremendous challenge of both physical, mental, social, just every aspect of it, man and machine. I mean, it is just... Co- People just say, oh, it's turn by turn direction. I just look at them and go, yeah, you think so, you know, and, <laughs> and I've done them. You know, I'm, I'm always held to the fence. And that's, I've, I've done so many of these podcasts. I love doing them. I, I love talking with people like yourself uh, that actually do a good job with them. And they always want to know what's harder. Is it the IBR? Is it the Hoka? Hey, and I'm like, no, you don't understand, man. 
both of these things are not meant for your average rider. And I, I really don't think in the Hoka, hey, and it's my opinion, I don't think the riders are vetted well enough. And I think there's other things that be put in, should be put into place, but that's my opinion. And I'm not on the board, but so remember that people, if you're listening to this, that's not my call. They, this, these things are incredible challenges. And the only thing that makes it different is on how hard it is and which one's harder is where are you competing at? Because if you're in the IBR and you want to be a finisher, they've got a set amount of points and a set amount of miles that you have to ride to be able to make a finisher status. That's the same thing with the Hoka Hay. If you would like to be a top 10 rider in the Hoka Hay and a top 10 rider in the IBR, you got to do something a whole lot different than everybody else, an incredible difference than everybody else. If you want to be an elite rider or a medal finisher in the IBR, you got to do something other people don't do. There's not many. I, I remember people uh, talking about the, the challenge ticket, and, and, and a lot of people raised a big fuss when I got kicked out. A lot of people made a major fuss, and I thought it was incredible when Beth came out and went, hey, he has the integrity dance stick. There's only four people in the world that have them, and that's all she said, and she got out. And I was like, man, she said that straight, didn't she? <laughs> she said that. <laughs> she said, Sometimes you just don't have to say a lot of words to get your opinion across. You know what I mean? It's like I was like, "You're right," and I know who the other ones are too, and I'm one of them. Hell yeah! Get an amen. <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah. you mentioned you mentioned which one's harder. They're totally different animals, aren't they? So the Hokahe, I think my listeners by now know it's ten thousand miles. You can't use electronic navigation. You have to sleep outside. Can't carry extra gas. They know the rules. Explain the difference between that and an IBR. So one the IBR, you have to be selected it's a lottery draw so not everybody gets in a lot of feelings get hurt on it as well the ibr has been around since 1984 they say it's the world's toughest ride as well and that more people have been in outer space than have finished the iron butt rally since 1984 that's about 650 people right so when you think of something at this level it's the same amount of riders generally around 125 130 riders to be a finisher is pretty dang special since 1984, 650 riders. It is a scavenger hunt. It's an adult scavenger hunt. It's a game. You have to figure out the game and you have to make it to these sites and mark them and then make these checkpoints because it is timed. So you also need miles and you need points. All of these sites that you have to log have different point values. So once you figure out what the game is, then you got to put them in together because you can string these things together. Or there may be one here on the East Coast that goes with one on the West Coast, and you got to figure out to get both of them so you can get these bonus points to go along with them. Uh, they run these strings. One year it was like playing poker. It was like 2017. It was like playing poker. You get three of this kind and two of that kind. You got a full house. You get this many bonus points. Sometimes they carry over. And other than that, you can sleep in hotels as much as you want. And they have checkpoints that are mandatory, which have mandatory dead stops. You have to be in at a certain time, and then in the morning you're leaving out. And you have to, when you check in, you got to go through all this process of getting scored and everything like that. And you don't know where you are after the first checkpoint. Uh, my first one, 2019, oh, oh, a horrible start, the first leg. The first, we went all the way out to uh, Kennewick, Washington. So I'm, uh, it hits me, something hits me. I don't have any clue what it is. I, feel miserable like i had, a, got sick yes okay the night 
before I'd been start feeling funny, I came down with a case of the shingles. I'd never had shingles in my life. So the first thing, the first day, my auxiliary fuel cell stops at about 10 o'clock at night, run out of gas on the side of this interstate with no breakdown lane. I'm like, I'm about to get killed. So I, 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 I'm like, why am I out of gas? I got an ox tank here. Like, yeah, I don't know why I'm out of gas. What's wrong? Something failed. My pump failed. I can't find my siphon hose or I could siphon out of my auxiliary fuel cells. And you can use auxiliary fuel cells up to 11 point something gallons of gas. I, I only have 10, so I'm good. So I have a siphon hose. I can't find it, but I'm wearing a, what do you, what do you call it? A, um, a stadium pal. A lot of people may not know what that is. Like a camelback uh, type thing? Uh, not quite, but sort <laughs> Okay. I don't know what it is. So I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So, so it is a, a condom catheter. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> so you don't have to get off the bike and go pee. You run a hose down your leg and you pee whenever you want. A condom cat. I can't find my siphon hose, but I need fuel. I have something available to siphon with. <laughs> I, I, I don't use that anymore. I never use a condom catheter anymore. I'm broke. I have been broke. I will not go through that again. So that's the first travesty that hits me. Then I break, I come down with the shingles, which feels like I have a nest of fire ants in my helmet. And it is just excruciating that the shingles are on my head and my neck. They still kind of have little flare ups. And it took it almost a year before it simmered down once I got on meds and everything. And now I can finally, I can go take a shot. They have a shot that you can take, but you have to wait two years. And I'm going to go get it pretty soon. But then, I told you I wrecked on top of Mount Evans. This is my first leg, IVR, and I make it to the checkpoint on time. I'm like, thanks, baby. Jesus, Lord, mercy, I'm here, you know? And I get in and I go through all these scorings. I've got, I, I uh, the night before I went up Mount Evans, I, I made myself hypothermic. It, it was, I'm at 12,000 feet forever coming across this mountain, coming out of Corbell, and my heated gear is cranked, and I'm not, I can't feel my hands, my feet, nothing. I don't even know. And I've got third degree burns on my legs from my heated gear. And when I get to the hotel, finally, actually, I showed up in this town. They don't have any rooms. I had to backtrack about 25 miles to get a room. And finally, when I drop out of my gear, I'm like, wow, I am burnt bad. And But I mean, that doesn't deter me. And the next morning, I go up and I, I wreck on top of Mount Evans. And then I get to the checkpoint and uh, let's go through scoring. And then I'm talking to another lady, and she went up Mount Evans. And because of the ice and snow, she didn't continue. She took a picture of the ice and snow, and she turned it in, and they gave her credit for it. It's like 2,800 points. No way. And I was that's, that's a big bonus. And uh, so I went to them, and I, I petitioned said, hey, I went up there, too, and I took a picture, and yada, yada. So they said, okay, we'll look at it. They called me down about an hour or so later. I said, Ken, yep. said, well, uh, we looked at your picture. They said, uh, we would have scored it for you. But we don't see any ice and snow on the ground. I'm like, and right behind the motorcycle is this huge lake that's frozen solid with a mountain of snow. But it doesn't show any snow and ice on the road where I'm at. Because I came off of the snow and ice to take the picture, right? Sure. They're like, so we can't score you. So I don't get the 2,800 points. They said, but there's more. Cordell, Colorado, which is a mining town, I was supposed to get a picture of a specific yellow coal engine. There are two of them in the town. One's at the museum, and the other one is across the street. I took the picture of the one across the street. I do not oh, get no. credit. 2,600 points. So I go from like 48th place down to 69th. 
I'm way back there, but I'm in the game. I'm still in the game. You know, I mean, we've got two more legs left. I'm, I'm okay, man. I mean, you know, I want to do good. I, I kind of think of myself as pretty good at this stuff. You don't get in it without being or having the mindset of being good or you shouldn't be there. And so I just ride the rest of the thing out. And I brought myself all the way back to a 14th place finish and got a gold medal. How about that? That's that was impressive. Worth my, that was worth keeping my head in the game, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you just have to endure and persevere, man. Keep your head in the game and, and keep stroking at it and plan your ride, ride your plan. Just like I said, right? I mean, that's just an imperative. There's no way around it. And my daughter was able to make it to the first checkpoint, which she made both checkpoints with stores for me to change out. And she brought me new goods and she also brought me medicine, which was like an immediate relief. It didn't get rid of it. It just kind of kept it at bay the rest of the trip. Sure. And I, you know, and everything is should have, could have, would have. Uh, and with those circumstances and a couple other little foul ups being my very first IVR, I mean, I could have very easily been on the podium. You know, that's, that's, and it's not just me, that's anybody, everybody that plays these games. I mean, it's just one move or another. You don't make the wrong turn in a, in a hoka hay. You could probably move up four or five spaces because, you know, you can make a wrong turn go 300 damn miles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing. If you take the wrong picture or the wrong angle in, in the IBR, you use all electronics, okay? I've got, I've got two GPS devices. I have two cell phones that have GPS devices, an auxiliary fuel cell. I'm running... 24,000 lumens on the front end of my bike for lighting. I've got a, a spot tracker and I keep the U.S. fleet tracker going as well. So you, you're using all the tools that are available to you. I've got Google Maps, MapQuest, Basecamp, I'm, you're, uh, the Harley GPS. I'm, you're running some systems. It's like being in the cockpit of an airplane. I mean, when you look at my, when people see my bike, it's different. Oh, I, I can attest to that. It's very cool looking. Yeah, you, you get up in there. You like being in the cockpit of an airplane, man. You got everything right there in front of you, and, and I know how to use it. People all the time are like, man, you got so much going on. I had a guy tell me the other day, I'm killing people out there. I said, what? <laughs> I'm trying not to be killed. What are you talking about? He's like, you're looking at all that stuff. You're a hazard. I'm like, I am more prepared on the road than you are. I see where the hazards are. I see where the weather is. I see where there's a road closure. I see where there's an accident. I see where the police are. I can see everything. I can see if there's something in the road. I know where I'm going. I know where my next turn is well in advance of getting that turn. And then my helmet is telling me where that turn is and which direction I need to go. Who's more prepared, me or you? He says it's him. (laughs) Of course he does. And that's the same people that tell me I can't see as much of it as them riding the way I do. And I go, well, I'm not riding with my eyes closed. And they're like, you can't ride that fast or that far and see as much as I can. I'm like, no, I'm seeing more. You're riding 5,000 miles a year and I'm riding 80,000 miles a year. You think you're seeing as much as me? It doesn't seem possible, correct? Not, not really. really. <laughs> not <laughs> I don't care if I'm going down the same road back and forth for 80,000 miles. I'm going to see more than you, you know? That's right. So you got all that stuff. Bike's all dialed in. You've, you're doing the whole, hey, you're doing the iron butt rallies. Right now, you're in the middle of your 100,000 miles. What are you going to mm-hmm. do after your 100,000 mile a year? <laughs> well, that's a rather odd question to ask somebody, Craig. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> um, it? <laughs> nope. I mean, one year is a continuation into the next. People have asked me, you know, like Dana set her Guinness record and hopped in his 100,000. And somebody said, well, you'll probably go break Hop's record. I'm like, no, no, I, I don't 
I don't have any desire to go break my friend's record. That's his record. I I don't want to be known as the guy that broke Hop's record. That's my friend. That's my brother. You know what I mean? I, that's it. I'll let some other fool do that, and I'll look at him and go, ah, I don't like you. You know. So I, I don't want that. I wouldn't want somebody else's. I want something that's going to be my signature, whatever that's going to be. So I always have these things in the works that I'm doing. So I'm driven anyway. So I will be doing, of course, I'll be doing the Alder again because I've won it. And I've come in, I'm presently in second in it again. I'll do the Tour of Honor because it's just, I'm very passionate about that. And I love seeing these memorials and I love sharing the story about them. And I write a lot of stories uh, on social media if people want to read them. I have a fairly decent little following, but it's, you know, it, it's just cool to share this. And um, I'm trying to close these things out. Because I've been so many places, I've seen so many things, it gets to be redundancy. And I'm, I'm kind of like over the re- redundancy of it all. So if I've seen a Doughboy once already, and I've seen a couple of them a couple times, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to see them all. I want to finish that list. Statues of Liberty, there's very few of them out there that I haven't seen. I have a database of my own. I want to see the rest of them. I want to get more. Of, I'd like to be, I, I only know two people that have seen all of the national parks and they haven't either because that's always changing it was 419 now it's 424 sure. um, yeah so you know so there's always there's something out there there's the next this the next goal is that that's the pursuit of to see this i, I have one that i actually kind of started that it took me a minute for it to register in my head so i have this thing that i call cradle to grave and these are these iconic again the iconic word again celebrities, historical figures in our country that I've actually been to where they were born and I've been where they've been buried. I've been to like 36 or 37 of the president's graves. Um, you know, so it's it's kind of neat because I, it started catching on. I'm like, wait a minute, I've been where this guy was born before. I've been where his childhood home was. And now I'm here where he's buried at. And it's just like, wow, that's, that's a wild moment. That's a wild thing to me. Yeah. Um, to go, man, I follow this guy. I know the historical content, you know, of, of these incredible people that did uh, wonderful things for our country um, and, and all this other stuff that ties it with it because I've just got a list. Uh, a guy told me one time that Berkshire Hathaway is like the number three guy at the time. I think he's retired out now, but I, I got to meet this guy and he's worth a gazillion dollars and he's hearing my story and he's just like, he's like, I'm a list guy. You're a list guy. I'm like, what? He's like, you're a list guy. I'm like, I don't make $195 bazillion a year. (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 you're a list guy. And you remember him. He said, I am too. He said, I'm trying to fly to every country in the world. I just don't land in in the airport and take off. I have to go into the country. And he only had the time. He only had like two or three left. And he's like, guess which one? Guess which one? And I'm talking with this guy, a skelly. And I'm like, he's like, you're never going to get it. I promise you, you're never going to get it. I'm thinking, where? It has to be somewhere incredibly obscure that this guy hasn't been because he, he's a gazillionaire. He'd go anywhere. Freaking Poland. It's like he hasn't been to Poland. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, me and my wife are going. I just He's like a dog. His head's going one way and his tail's going the other. <laughs> me and my wife are going. I'm like, how could you not have ever been to Poland? You know. And so he kind of relays it to me. And then I'm telling him my story. And he's just so absolutely fascinated by it all. You know, and I'm just like, wow. This guy's incredible. He's fascinated about me, my little old me, you know, and, and hearing my little old thing and my little old adventure and my quest in life. My my one Facebook page is Kenneth Andrews and his quest of the elusive 48 and 10. So it's, it's like uh, my quest. 
so so it's always it's always going you know there's another rally to have out there because there's the mini rallies that build you up and prepare you to get in the IBR you can't just apply for an IBR and get in you have to have done things so there's you know there's like the uh the rock and ride rally that's like a 36 hour rally and there's hops rally that's like the 32 hour rally and there's the hot rally that's uh like a, a seven day rally and there's the senior butt and junior butt rally that's like a a five and a half day rally. So there's these there's these rallies all over the country, and it's 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 cool because I get to go to them. So I get to meet people that are pretty much regionally, besides the other riders that are kind of more like me that go to all of them as well. So you get to make these new friendships in all these different areas around the country because they ride in their area more local, and they're not everybody's out there riding all over the entire country all the time. Sure. So yeah, I, I think I'll find something to do. I'll be heading to Stockton, Alabama, Friday for what they call. Uh, Jacksonville is the the first ride of the year in the pizza party. Uh, the only people allowed to go to the actual pizza party are IBR finishers. And in Stockton, Alabama, which is the 30th of December every year, is the last ride of the year at this little restaurant there that they host hundreds of people. The last two years in the row, I have won the plaque that they give away every year for whoever has rode the most miles. Last year, I rode 4,857 miles in like three and a half days. I rode from Little Rock to the Pacific Coast and all the way across doing a 50cc to the Atlantic. And I did what's called a bun burner gold trifecta. I did three 1,500-mile days in a row along with a 50cc. And I went from the Arkansas to the to Pacific to the Atlantic to the Gulf of Mexico. And I finished up at this event, which, which was pretty pretty neat in and of itself doing back to back to back the multiples on bbg that bbg is so ridiculously hard it's it's nuts to do nine of them like hop and i did trying to do 10 was just ludicrous as a matter of fact they they actually told us that they're not going to allow anybody to try to do 10 anymore and that the benchmark will be what they call hell week which is seven bbgs 1500 miles in under 24 hours in a row what makes that a little bit more difficult is you can't rob from Peter to pay Paul, per se, i.e., if you do a bun burner goal, which you can in 21 hours or 20 hours, if you're just being crazy, uh, you got four hours left. Well, if you can do that back to back, that means you got eight hours that you can play off of the next day or sure. take two of those hours and do it in 22. With those multiples like that, you can't do that. You have to stop, start in that 24-hour period the whole way. So now you start dragging your wagon. You do one in 22 hours. You got two hours that day. You got to start the next one the next morning right at time. And you got to finish. So you're not, you're, whatever you get is what you get. So you're running on an empty fuel cell right out the gate, man. It's it's crazy. Sounds it's, like it. Yeah, I'd love to do it again. Hop and I did a great job at it. It's ridiculous. You, you ruined it for everybody else. <laughs> oh, we did, man. We absolutely did, and and, and we, there was zero intention of that. And there's backstory, and I'm, uh, there's a lot of private stuff in there. And anybody wants to reach out, I'll tell them the story. But it's actually, uh, you know, they're just uh, some some people didn't appreciate it. We were on social media, I think, a little bit too much than what people like because uh, you know we we just kind of have a little different riding skill set than a lot of people, and we can manage all these systems at the same time. And and we were having a good time with it. And some people thought we were having just too good a time. So. What a buzzkill, man. You ruined my party, you know? Yeah, no kidding. So you didn't ruin <laughs> yeah. it. Everyone's ability to not do what you did ruined it. Uh, kind of, sort of, maybe. <laughs> I mean, they could probably do it too, but you know, they, they don't 
They don't want all that flash. And, and the IBA doesn't want that promotion either. They don't want it being out there that, that people think we're, we're being risky or like that guy told me we're out there killing people. And they're protecting their brand. So that's that's perfectly fine. You know, the Hoka Hay is trying to protect its brand as well. So they ship these rules. That, that's their prerogative. It's their Hoka Hay and we're just riders, right? Um, yep. They're, they're Hoka Hay and we are Hoka Hay, right? Right. So yeah. that leads me to your most recent accomplishment that I remember seeing on Facebook is this 550,000 mile pin. Talk about that. Yes. You know, it really, like I said, it really kind of took off in like 2015. So that's kind of been the measure of it because, you know, I was doing like everybody else, they get on a motorcycle. And I, I think, you know, right in the beginning, a, a big year for me was probably 20,000 miles because I was right. I knew back on it again, not always loved them anyway. And now I had it, I'm doing it in a different style and tried. I took some long distance trips. I really didn't know what I was doing, but I did them anyway. I, I went to the East Coast and I went to the West Coast and do, doing these you know, pretty, pretty long distance trips, but, you know, not really necessarily iron butt but i take trips doing the with my wife i think the longest trip i took with her was like 6800 miles so you know i'd have these 20,000 mile years whatever then i've jumped up to like a, a tour of honor i did like 58,000 next thing i'm doing i'm like at 68 then i'm at like 74 then i'm like at 82 then i'm like at 80, 88 and then the next year i, I popped at 92,000 and and i did 92,000 i looked at it and I went man, I could have had 100,000 miles a year if I'd have been paying attention. But in all actuality, it, because I'd been so active that year, it didn't feel like I had done that many miles. Whereas right now, I'm at 86,000 miles and I am grinding. I am working hard to get this done. And I had more free time then as well. So, so I'm closing in on 600,000. And of course, my goal, uh, like a lot of people like myself, well, not a lot of people, but but us that are up there, is a million miles. I, I want to be a million mile guy. Why not? You know, I mean, if you're blessed and you got the health and you keep pushing that rig down the road, why not go for it, man? And be one be one of the very select and the very few. It's the same thing with uh with the uh with the hundred thousand miles in a year. If you can do it and you can get it certified. Well, right now, there's only like 18 people on that list. I know Dana Darcy, she's going to get on that list. So that means there's 19. I think I'd like to be in the top 20, although there may be somebody else doing it that I don't know of. And I don't know of anybody there. I probably would because they would be in our communities, right? Especially anybody that's trying to certify it because you got to do everything that goes along with it. The receipts, the odometers, the kind sure. of a, a idea and everything like that. So from from 2015 is really when the explosion of it all that I realized I was doing something completely different than other people to now it's it's a uh, it's more than just passion anymore it is a lifestyle I did a interview with a guy the other day it was like four hours or something and the guy's doing he's writing this thesis and a couple people re recommended him to talk to me because he was trying to see the difference between a common rider a vagabond rider, which we know a lot of them around, and I'm sure you see a lot of them in, in the rally world mm -hmm. and uh, the tight rally, like your Sturgis and Daytona and things like that, because there's a lot of scooter trans that are at them places, and that's how they make their livelihoods, right? And uh, we have friends that are in that community that are cool people. And so, he, you know, he's trying to just write this whole thesis over the difference between these long-distance riders and these vagabond riders and, and these riders that are everyday common riders. And he's like, you're, he's talking to me, he's like, you're, 
from everything and anybody I've ever interviewed, you're like about as close to being a vagabond rider as anybody, but you're like, you like doing it with style. You're like in hotel rooms. You don't slum it. You're not, you're not sleeping in the tent. And I'm like, well, I do sometimes. And, and I'll sleep on a park bench. You know, they call it, you know, either the Hokahay Hotel or the, the Iron Butt Hotel. People have different names for it. You know, I'll use them. I don't mind. And especially if I'm trying to attain a goal or, or trying just, I want to get somewhere because I think I brought this up earlier. I, I will use an iron butt ride to get me somewhere. It will get me to the East Coast. I'm, I'm in Arkansas. I'm, I'm on the East Coast in one day and I'm on the West Coast in one day. Either way, you point me either direction. And then when I get out there, I'm spending three or four days looking around and put in some more miles and make it back. So I, part of how I've made all of this happen. And, uh, it, it's just the, the experience is just wonderful. It's over the top. It, it will, it will carry me the rest of my days if I don't have it another day after today. You know, I mean, and if I, I leave this world today, I'll, I'll left a little bit of a piece of me behind while I was doing it because of the passion part of it. You know, I mean, that's just, uh, if you aren't passionate about it, it, it you know, it's going to taper off and you're, you're going to be done with it. And I don't want to be done with it. Right. So I did the math on that too, just uh, just for everybody still listening. Five hundred fifty thousand miles. Now you started in two thousand eleven. Now we've heard that that really doesn't start accumulating until two, three, four years later. But over eleven years, that's fifty thousand miles a year. It's four thousand one hundred and sixty six miles over one hundred and thirty two months every month, doing just about forty two hundred. You've ridden five hundred and seventy two weeks, averaging nine hundred and sixty two miles a week. <laughs> and over over your twelve thousand fifty three days, you're just under forty six miles per day average. That's, uh, you know that that uh that when you hear numbers like that, it kind of changes it a little bit, right? I mean, uh, it's kind of like with my book. When I had one, it was something. When I had two, it was something. Now it's like something tangible, and you start yeah. you start reflecting on them numbers because you know people all the time. Like I hear people say, "Oh, I'm a million mile guy," and I'm like, "How long you been doing it?" They're like, well, "I've been riding." 50 years i got a million miles i'm like well i've been doing it for 10 you know yeah it's a it's a different animal but nothing less on their game you know what i'm saying it's just it's a different animal and and, uh what what do they say a body that's in motion tends to stay in motion yeah i uh i actually uh talked with solo not too long ago and and of course he won the hoka hay this year or or got first place whatever you want to call it it is not a race it's uh, not, I always laugh about play. that. It's not a race, but yeah. there's a huge trophy if you're the first one They're back. Huge, huge. <laughs> I, I, and I just, I, out of the blue, I just sent him a message. And I was just like, "Have you stopped moving yet?" And he's like, "Man, <laughs> you know, he just sent it back a long drawn out. Man, you know what you're talking about, don't you? <laughs> I just, because I knew, you know, I mean, I've had these years and when I when you get done with the bigs." like that and and actually with the hoka hay and the ibr i'm like one of 10 people in the world that's done them both you know it's a very small crowd of people and yeah. it's, a, it's a small crowd of people that have even attempted either one of them and even a smaller crowd of people that's been a finisher in both of them i mean that's and which is a, a privilege and uh to share you know and, and have people to ask because now it really makes them interested but when you do these things and you get done and man, your body is still going. I mean, you wake up, I'm like, hop when he did hundred K you wake up wondering why you're not moving. Like, why am I sitting still? What did I miss? What time is it? You know, I mean, it's just, it's in your head, you know, and it's ingrained in your body. And, you know, and there's all these skills that you learn to do it, you know, and, 
and 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 how to people are like you got to be on drugs it's like you can't do drugs and do this you fool you, you'll die you can't you can't do a bunch of meth and stay up for four days straight right. riding a hoka you're you're a goner man you're probably going to be a goner on day one you know i mean that's yeah so you know putting that all together to get the to get over that half a million, I just when I saw the half a million, I, I I was just blown away by it when I got it. And I'm sitting here looking at that 550 pin. I haven't put it on my vest yet. It I, I know it's something special because a lot of people haven't attained that. A lot have, but a little more have it in in the riding world. And to get that 600 is going to make me just as happy. And, and I love to look at it and just reflect back on it. And I love doing these types of things that you're doing because. I, these stories come up that, you know, a lot of people haven't heard before and, or somebody may have heard this one, but they didn't hear that one. And it is just so entertaining. I, I have a guy that follows me on social media and we talk from time to time. He actually came out to the IBR in Daphne, uh, South Carolina, my first one, uh, just so he could meet me and other writers as well. He said, but I specifically wanted to meet you because he said, I hear you. He said, I hear what you say. When I read, what you write, I hear what you say, and, and it reaches me. And I was coming in yesterday, I thought for sure I'm getting snowed on, man. It actually cut me an iron butt ride short, a Stanosaur. And him and I talked on the phone yesterday for about two hours. And we're finally getting close to the end of the conversation. And he's like, tell me, yeah, I don't know how many times he told me, I got to get off phone. My son's calling me. I got to talk to my wife. He's a truck driver. So he understands these miles. And there's some of the few people that actually go when we say that, they go, oh, no, it's perfectly, you can do it. I'm a truck driver. I do this. And, but he tells me, you know, he drives for a certain uh, freight liner and he has the same route to Atlanta and back. He's 3 million miles in a truck, which is incredible to me. And um, his truck only goes 65 miles an hour. He said, but I'm an audio book guy. He said, so that's how I entertain myself when I do that. And it just went right straight to me. And I said, because every time we're sitting there talking, he says, well, tell me about this story right here. I read this part about uh, this story that you wrote. Tell me about the rest of it. Because, you know, I know you got more details in there that you didn't write because you didn't write them all. And I'm just like there and I'm talking with him. His name's Don Yates. He's a cool guy. And I'm like, damn, I'm his audio book right now. That is cool, man. I'm just like, because yeah. you know, like, he says, you know, he says, okay, well, what about, the, okay, well, tell me about this story. Well, you know, you made mention about something, but something else happened because you didn't tell the whole story. But just by reading what you prefaced it with, and it was probably something along the line of butthole darts and vagina ball, you know, <laughs> so, what, what, are those, what are those types of stories, you know, that didn't make it to print, so to speak, right? And, and they're all embedded in those miles. And man, I could talk about them forever, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the marksman. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. Ow. <laughs> We've talked about everything I had notes on, almost. Some of like your typical podcast questions, those are boring, so I'm not asking those. But do you have anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to? You know, I I, I mean, I hope everybody, anybody gets a chance to listen to this, but they do. And I hope that uh, they go back and listen to some of your others as well, because they're very entertaining. I'd like to share with people that I do use a wild ass. There's my pitch. I've used one since I found it. I, I found the, um, what, what's that other one called? <laughs> it's the Airhawk. <laughs> yeah. So I, I found the Airhawk first and I, I wanted, I tried a couple of gel seats and I always ride a stock seat that, that might drive people might think that would be something different. But, uh, so I, so I was riding the Airhawk, but the Airhawk kind of got up in my groin and would, it, it made me have a, 
it made me pull a muscle because it, the way it's set. My local guy's shop here, Rodney's Cycle Shop. I'll give him a pick. He's a great guy. He's, he's in the Hall of, Motorcycle Hall of Fame and everything. But I found the Wild Ass. And the Wild Ass uh, is a more comfortable seat. And it's spread out further. And it doesn't hit me up in the man region like that and bother me. So <laughs> and it, it literally does. It, it almost doubles your ride time, comfort level ride time for, for, for a regular rider. They should absolutely have one of these. And now my Airhawk is my backrest in front of my auxiliary fuel cell. So I'd like everybody to know that. <laughs> You're sitting on the one that works. That's what we like. That's uh, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've seen it in person. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so that brings us to the five questions. Five, five qu- questions. They're randomly selected. I have a list of 20 questions. And I spin the little wheel that goes up to 20. And then... Uh, okay. These are the five that you got. Okay. Okay. So question number one, these are all going to be interesting because of the writing you do and the stories you've already shared. I can't wait to get to these. Number one, what have you changed your mind about in the last few years and why? What I've changed my mind about in the last few years and why is I've found a different center. My level of anger and sadness and everything i've kind of brought it all together and compartmentalized it and said why why would you let something good or bad bother you why don't you fix it and move on why why don't you find your center and fix it and move on because that's the only way to get around it is to fix it and move on sure good or bad good or bad so in the last three years, I've, I've made a huge effort to do that in my world. Oh, that's awesome. Question <laughs> number two, what is the best advice you have gotten as a motorcyclist? What is the best advice I've gotten? If you tell everything you know, you won't know nothing. Explain that. You, you see everything. You, you, when you're doing it like this, there, there's so many places. And if you don't keep some of that in reserve, you won't have anything. If I tell the same story over and over and over and over again, people are not going to want to hear the story anymore. Sure. They're going to get bored with it, right? Yeah. So you, you hold things in reserve. And I, and I can make a perfect example of it. One of my first long distance trips, I went to the California coast and coming back, we're heading towards the four corners. And off in the distance, a couple miles out there in the desert, the high desert, I could see this ratty trailer with a broke down pickup truck. The whole, it's got the tires on the roof of it, and it is just dilapidated. And it's way there, a couple miles off of the road, and I see it. I'm like, somebody lives there, right? And I'm looking at that, blowing down this highway. And all of a sudden, in the sage and the brush, you know, the white thorn and everything to my side here, I see it. There are three children and they are in these wool clothing and they are First Nation Native American people and they have a herd of sheep with them. And these three children that the oldest probably couldn't have been no more than nine or ten, all the way down to the littlest, there was probably three to five, were right there and I could see them. And I said, man, I need to stop and get that photo. That is amazing. This is going to be one of the most incredible shots I've ever gotten. And then it washed over me. I went, you can't do that, man. 
you'd be taking part of their soul with you. That's that's and you know what? Now I get to tell that story and people can come up with whatever kind of conjecture they like on what that picture looks like, but I'm the only one that knows what it looks like. Sure. That is that is in me and that is mine. So I don't have to tell everything I know tell everything you know, you don't know nothing. I kept that picture to me. Yep. Question yeah. number three. What are your morning rituals? Like basically what are the first um, sixty minutes of your day look like? I'm up. And I'm preparing for my men and women that work for me because as a contractor, a lot of times they're here in the shop and I have to be ready to field questions and make sure they have the right materials and products to put on these jobs that we're presently working on. And it changes every day. And uh, we move vehicles around and materials and tools and everything like that. So that's the very first part of my day. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people. I don't use an alarm. I probably haven't used an alarm in 35 40 years. Uh, once I got out of the military, I, I don't need one. I, I'm a four or five hours sleep a night guy. And if I am going to take off to go do a ride, or if I'm going to, I have a plan of a time that I want to be up and gone, I'm awake. So in the morning for work, I'm generally up at about five. My guys are here somewhere between 6.15 to 7 a.m. And I've, I've already read the news. I've already finger F, I call it I call it finger F my phone. I've already Facebooked. I've probably wrote a story. I've answered a lot of questions. I've read emails. I've read the news. I've checked the weather. And and then I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get things going. Cool. Question number four. What is one thing on your anti-bucket list? Something that you'll never do again. Intentionally <laughs> uh, or what? I mean, look at that. <laughs> oh, uh, oh man! Okay, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to dig through this one again. I I will never again go to the African American National Historical Site in Boston, Massachusetts, as uh, part of the National Park System. And I had one of the most terrible experiences I've ever had in my life there, and it wounded me. And, and I don't know how in the world somebody else could treat another human being like that. And I was profiled and I, I was basically had a door shut in my face and I was felt like I was not even, not even worthy of even being in that premises. And it's one of the most God awful experiences I've ever had in my life. And I will tell everybody about it. And it was horrible. Huh. And I don't care what they have there that I wanted to see. I will never, ever go there again. I feel like there's a long story there. It, it didn't take a minute. It didn't take a hot minute for it to occur. And I'm saying that it, it wasn't, it was uh, 20 minutes. And, and I was basically told, no, you can't take the tour. No, you can't buy anything. No, you don't belong here. You need to get out. I, I have, I have that, I have that put away. I, I will never treat anybody like that. And I can't believe how other persons treat people like that. I will never ever do that to somebody because it would make me feel so bad and just so wrong and dirty and ugly to do that. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's, it's put away and I know where it is. I, I, if I need to draw on it, I will, but I don't intend to. I'm going to put that away where it belongs and, and I'm going to be a lot better person. That's the positive that comes from it. So to flip this back <laughs> over to a positive, question number right five, up. what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? $100 or 
or less. Um, $100 or less. And, and how long the time period here? The last six months. The last six months. Man, my, my, my life is on such an even keel. Um, you know, I, 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 have, I have so many things that are in that range. I actually, I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, Henrietta Nelson made this incredible uh, medallion with peyote beading on it that she's been doing for many, many years. And it's a Hoka Hay medallion at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's more than that price. But, oh, gosh, this thing is incredible. But I have, I, I feel so close to, to this. The, the the indigenous people in our country, the the First Nation people, are Native Americans, and and everything about them. That um, you know, I've, I've purchased her keychains that I've been able to gift to other people. It's so you know, bringing it down to one thing: the challenge coins, because the challenge coins are just immense. I mean, but you know, it's it's generally not less than a hundred dollars when I purchase them. But each one of them is like fifteen dollars worth of sure. incredible. Does that count? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, because I mean, that's you know they're they're just I'm I'm using them and consistently. So at fifteen dollars a pop, I you you can't get that bang for buck out of a steak, out of a movie. I well, that nothing like that costs that much anyway, does it? Right. Uh, that's, no. I, I, yep. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go with the Tour of Honor Vietnam Veterans Challenge Coin is something that has made one of the biggest impacts on me in the last six months. That's really cool. And what I really like about that question is, well, all of the 20 questions I have, there are just a few that if ever I'm on somebody's podcast and they ask me them, I am fucked. But if, uh, but what I like about that question is we don't often think about what we spend less than a hundred bucks on, right? You just kind of do it and go on. You do it and go on. It's such a cool question because it really makes you think and go, man, what was it? So I love the challenge coin answer, especially yeah. after the story you gave us earlier. So that uh, rounds out the top five. That rounds out the whole podcast damn near. So do you have any asks or requests of my audience? Um, you know, I mean, if I have the open mic for that, I, I would love that, that um, everybody that listens, one, because you're a participant as well, uh, to pay attention to the works of Mile uh, Monsters. They are doing incredible things, and I'm kind of an outsider, insider in it, and I'm a participant. I'm kind of like a guest writer, so to speak. I think Riot likes me, so he lets me do it. And, um, you know, if I can use any of my name recognition to help with that, if this podcast can help with that, because that's incredible. I, I had zero knowledge of what I was going to gain out of my participation in this. And it's moved me. It's changed things for me. It's these, these little boys, these little men, these, these guys that are, their whole life is right in front of them and they're learning it day by day and they're going through it and living with it and keeping these, these positive attitudes and, and the humbleness. I was talking with a guy yesterday about that, about, about Turbo out there, Josh out in California, and just how humble this little boy is while he's facing down this devastating disease that there is no cure for and and if everybody I, I really wish that you would give to this organization it doesn't have to be mild monsters it can be jar of hope you can reach out to the dmd foundation if you like but if you would give to try to help to maybe help these guys find a cure to make these little boys have a better life and these young men too because it, it ends all too soon for them and it is 
a 100% mortality rate. I mean, that's, that's a truth of the matter mm-hmm. and, and these boys need our help. And also, if you'd be kind enough, if you'd look into and research Fisher House, Fisher House is helping our veterans heal. And it is an incredible organization. The people, the family that started it. I mean, you go read the backstory on it and you find out, you found, find more out about this organization and what they're doing to help our veterans. Outstanding, man. Every little bit helps. Uh, these Fisher houses are popping up all over the country now. The organization's getting bigger. And I mean, I've looked at so many of these organizations. There's good ones. I, I, I like, uh, a wounded warriors. There's, there's a dude out there, Adam Sandoval. I've known him for a long time and, and he, he, he really promotes them and they're good people, but Fisher House is my go-to and uh, I'll be raising money for them for a long time. So anybody that you willing to go give them some money uh, to help out, I'd appreciate that as well. That's awesome. And I will add links in the show notes just so people can, uh, you can oh, find those you. easier. So yeah, no, that's yeah. great. Do you have any final parting words? <laughs> I don't know that. I think I've I already incriminated myself enough by now. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want me back i'd be more than happy i got more things to say and you're gonna go oh <laughs> oh i'm sure you'll be back okay your stories are great i've read them i love reading them love seeing the pictures and all the things you got going on on social media so tell us where can we follow kenneth andrews um i'm basically kenneth andrews on facebook and you know it's easy, one easy way to get to me if you look up uh, Kenneth Andrews and his quest. And if you like that page, then I can see it. Cause there's uh, Kenneth is a really, really common name. I don't feel like a common person, but, but the name Kenneth is very common. So finding the Kenneth Andrews uh, generally on Facebook, although I am on, I think is it uh, Twitter. I'm on, on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm on Twitter. Twitter is go home Ken. So I can be found there. Hashtag go home Ken on Twitter. Yeah. I'm not on TikTok. I'm on Twitter. I have to think not on, that. <laughs> you're not on Instagram or anything like that either. Um, I do not think I. Maybe I am. I, I, you know, I'd have to look. <laughs> Man, I wish you'd ask me this before. So you don't evidently don't post often like, there, you know, so I'm, that's I'm okay. Using, <laughs> yes, sir. I, I'm always. I'm always using Facebook. So I think I am on Instagram. The whole can. I think that's my name on Instagram. Okay, so we'll can. put. I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Yeah, so yeah, I'll find. They're go home can. It's everyone they are. Okay. Oh yeah, it is Instagram. There it is. Good. Oh, I'm looking at me. Oh, wow. I do have an account. Sweet. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's about all I got, folks. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. Of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you again in a couple weeks. And of course, thank you again, Kenneth, for coming on with me. Had a fantastic time, Craig. Thank you for having me along.